Okay, good evening, everyone, and welcome to the November 2022 meeting of the San Francisco Animal Commission. My name is Michael Angelo Torres, and I am your commission chairperson. We continue to hold our meetings remotely due to the ongoing COVID-19 health emergency and based on recommendations issued by our city and state government regarding remote meetings, including our teleconference meetings resolution under California Government Code Section 54953E. For those of you who are interested in how our commission works or serving on this commission, you will find that information on our website at sfgov forward slash animal commission. On our website, you will also find the agendas, minutes, and supporting documents from previous meetings, as well as audio and video of past meetings. So please check out our website at sf.gov forward slash animal commission. I also want to mention that we are currently experiencing delays in the conversion process that allows for the uploading of our videos to our website. This delay means that if videos, that video of tonight's meeting may not be on our website until sometime early next week. But if anyone has an immediate need for video of tonight's meeting, requests can be sent to me and I can provide the link and password to download the video. Requests can be sent to michelangelo.torres at sfdph.org. Um, my contact information, including my email address, is also on our website. Please be aware that the link that I will provide to you to is to download the video, as opposed to just viewing or streaming the video. Please feel free to also follow our commission's social media accounts. Links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages are located on our website's About Us page, which can be accessed by clicking on the blue Learn More About Us button on our website's homepage. Members of the public who wish to comment during the meeting can call 415-655-0003, excuse me, and use access code 2453-108-1895, followed by the pound sign. After you enter the access code, you will be prompted to enter the pound sign again. Please make your comments in accordance with the agenda. Um, let me see if Commissioner Tobin is here. Okay, I do not see Commissioner Tobin here at this moment. Um, so, Commissioner Ozernoy, can you please take roll from the list of names signed on to the meeting? Let me unmute myself. <laughs> um, all right, uh, so present um, are Commissioner Fortier, Commissioner Torres, Commissioner Van Horn, Commissioner Irani, Myself, um, Commissioner Ozernoy, and um, Commissioner Iris Chan is unable to make it. Um, and Commissioner Tobin has not logged in yet. Um, not present are um, Chris Campbell from Parks and Rec and Officer Sutherland from US uh, SFPD. Okay, thank you. I'm just checking my messages again to see if I received anything from Commissioner Tobin, but so far nothing. Okay. Okay, so thank you. Uh, moving on to general public comment. <laughs> At this time, members of the public may address the commission with comments on items within the commission's jurisdiction, other than items already on the agenda. So please note that the letter of support for the proposed shock collar ban, SFACC admissions policy, SFACC reporting, and the commission government's presentations discussions all have their own public comment period. So please wait for the public comment periods following those agenda items, if you wish to comment on those. Um, okay, and as with our previous meetings, I will be facilitating public comment periods at tonight's meetings. 
before we begin public comment, I did want to talk, speak concerning missed speakers and people not being called for public comment at our last meeting. Um, so um, I appreciate very much um, the people that reached out to me and um, the attendees who worked with me to try and drill down exactly what the problem is. I also reached out to the city's um, digital services department for some um, for some assistance as well. Um, this is what I've learned. Um, currently, we, as you know, we use the WebEx platform to hold meetings. Currently, we're in the the city is in the process of transitioning from classic events meeting format, which is what we're currently using, to WebEx webinars, which is something that we'll be using in the new year. Um, we'll be using it soon because, from what I understand, it has great capabilities. Plus, um, classic. Uh, um, events, which is what we're currently using, will be going away effective April 1st. So um, what I was told by digital services is during this time of transition, uh, there are some little things uh, that the program did for itself on its own that it's no longer doing. And one of those things I understand is that our dashboard, our participant dashboard in which we see who is to make, who is who is in the queue for public speaking, it doesn't refresh. Uh, automatically. So, you know, I was told how to refresh it manually. And we think that as a result of it, not auto automatically refreshing and us not knowing we needed to do it manually. Uh, that might have been the reason why calls were missed. So, again, I apologize to those who, who, um, who, who weren't able to comment at the last meeting. I know we please know that we, we value everyone's comments and their participation and I can understand how frustrating it was to to be part of a three hour of the over three hour meeting and not being able to comment. So again I apologize for that. But you know we do know that this that hopefully knowing now about uh, not having to um, refresh manually will help. In addition to um, we will have at some point another set of eyes going over the list to make sure we catch everyone. And um we also have Commissioner Forte who will be taking time, which will free my time as well, uh, no pun intended. Um, so I can also kind of uh, scan over the list too to make sure I don't miss anyone, okay? So, um, yes, Commissioner Ozenek? I now see if I'm in the, the pop-out list, I can actually just, there's not a scroll arrow, but I can just arrow up and down with arrows. So I, I will also keep an eye on the, the hands, the, the raised hands to make sure that everybody gets called up. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. And what so this what also this means is that um, the program I um, assigns you a, a random number. Um, so, for example, you may hear me say, okay, this is caller number three. This is caller number four. That's just our way of kind of keeping track of who's been called upon. Um, it means nothing as far as the order of the callers or anything else. Um, but, you know, just to let you know that that is something you will probably hear during the course of public comment going forward at least until we switch over to um, webinar, okay? So uh, that being said, there was one comment, uh, one person, I did reach out to those who weren't able to comment um, last time. One person did provide a comment. I said I would go ahead and read it. This of course is, is still um, within, it still needs to be within the two minute um, um, time period for public comment, but I will go ahead and go forward. Um, if someone wants to start the commissioner, um, Forte wants to start the talk. When I start, I will go ahead and talk and then you just let me know when two minutes is over, okay? Okay, so this is from um, an attendee named Nadine. The CIP call interested party hold, which allowed a person bringing an animal to ACC to place a hold on the animal so that person would be informed if an animal was to be euthanized 
in order to possibly rescue that animal worked very well for many years and saved many animals' lives. Over the last 20 years, I personally rescued five cats from euthanasia at ACC because I put a CIP hold on each one the day I brought the cat in. Each time I got a call from ACC because of the CIP hold, I never questioned the reason for the decision. I simply told them I would come right away and take the cat. I took all five cats to my vet, had them treated for medical conditions, if that was the reason given for the possible euthanasia, and then placed them into foster homes. All five were adopted into wonderful, to wonderful people who adore them and take very good care of them. And that is only my story. I'm sure there are many, there are many more animals who have been saved through the CIP hold. Unfortunately, without giving any reason, several years ago, ACC decided to eliminate that hold. So those of us who have brought stray animals, including kittens to ACC in the last few years, have been unable to have the possibility of rescuing those animals if they were in danger of euthanasia at ACC. Uh, sorry for the long explanation, but I wanted to be sure that you and the other commissioners understand why this is an important issue and definitely needs to be part of the discussion about problems at ACC. Okay, so that was one of the comments I got, so I just wanted to read it into record. Um, so, um, so going back to public comment, um, members of the public who wish to make a comment should hit star three on their phone to be added to the speaker's queue. Hitting star three will show you with your hand raised on our dashboard so we will know that you wish to make a comment. The voice prompt will confirm your hand has been raised. Please hit star three only once to be added to speaker queue. Hitting star three a second time will cause your hand to be lowered and we will have no way of knowing that you wish to make a comment. I will unmute your phone line when it is your turn to speak. When prompted, you will have two minutes to make a comment. Please be aware that after your two minutes have passed, your phone line will be muted and I will go on to the next caller. Okay, I'm going to review. I see two. Okay, good to know. Okay, I currently see two as well. I will oh, go ahead three. and call them. Okay. A third one. Okay, good. So it is automatically refreshing. Okay, we're going to start with caller 38. Fourth one. Now there's four. Okay, great. I will go ahead and keep an eye on that. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to start with, actually, I'll start with caller 23. Okay, speaker, you're unmuted. You can make your comments. Hi, um, my name is Patricia Briggs, and I was just wondering, um, it seems like the SFPD officer has not been um, showing up, and I'm wondering if, uh, the, you know, what the um, what happens when they miss so many meetings. I mean, in the past, the, the officers showed up all the time when we worked on the live animal market issue in the 1990s. Anyway, and then my second question also is, um, will we be revisiting the glue trap issue you again. I miss the original um, talk, which I heard was really impressive, um, and I was just wondering what the answer to those two questions was. Okay, thank you for your comments. Um, generally, we don't respond to comments, but I will mention that we do have a new representative. He will be introduced in January, and yes, we will continue to um, to look into the glue trap ban, possible glue trap ban, so thank you. Okay, we're going to go on to this is going to be caller 38. Hey, you have been unmuted and you can make your comment, please. Hi, um, my name is Madison. Um, I am a um, Bay Area resident and um, I was called to this meeting because of my concern for the banning of shock callers. Um, I, I wanted to voice how much um, 
you callers have caller, changed my life and my me. relationship. Excuse me. Caller, we'll, we'll be discussing shot callers uh, after the public comment. So please save your comment. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I thought that was you. part yeah. of the public comment. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah, that'll be. Yeah, that'll have its own um, comment period. We're going to be covering that item in um, just immediately after this. Okay, so thank you. Okay, okay, thank you. Okay. Okay, we're going on to caller number thirty-nine. Caller, you can make your comments. Thank you. Caller, do you hear us? It sounds like you're trying to to speak, but we can't hear you. Okay, I'm I'm gonna have to. Mute this call and go on to the next caller. Unfortunately, we can't hear. Does anyone hear the caller? Okay. Okay, we're going to go on to caller 42. Okay, caller, you have been unmuted. You can please proceed with your comment. Hello? Hello, can you yes. hear me? Yes, we can. Okay. Uh, this is Suzanne Martin. I'm a resident of San Francisco and a supporter of Friends of San Francisco Animal Care and Control. And I'm asking that San Francisco Animal Care and Control's doors stay open to cats. Um, so many people right now are well, going through a real... We, yeah? I'm sorry to interrupt. We have a special agenda item that is devoted to that issue. This. Uh, is for public commentary that is not about the shock collars or the cats. So if you don't mind holding your comment until we um, delve into that particular topic, that would be that would be awesome. That would be fine. How can I tell what number I am? I, I apologize for the confusion. That's something internal that we're just using just right now while we're having some problems with with missed commenters yeah. so just disregard that number it's it's irrelevant to you know to anyone other than myself basically okay okay thank you it's for so understanding and please call us back during that agenda item okay if you could lower your hand and stay on the line and then uh, raise it again we will be for sure uh call on you so i think press start three We have one more. Uh, this is Marion. You have been unmuted. You can make your comment. Or we can't hear you. I'm going to mute this person as well, because it looks like no one's there. Okay, I'm going to refresh this now. Okay, I don't see any new callers. 
Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and They're all hands. Okay, so public comment is closed. Okay, moving on to approval of draft minutes from the October 2022 um, meeting. Uh, due to my oversight, I was not able to send out the minutes until um, just basically just right before the meeting. Uh, since the since the draft minutes were about uh, six pages long, if I remember correctly, I doubt very much if anyone has had the opportunity to view them yet. So what I will do, um, unless anyone has any objections or any kind of um, concerns, I will um, place this instead on our January uh, agenda uh, to approve them. Okay. Are there any questions or anything from the commissioners? Okay, seeing none. Okay. We are now moving on to chairperson and commissioners reports. Um, commissioners reports regarding recent activities in the community involving animal issues that have been discussed by the commission in the past. Are there any reports to share? I don't see any hands. And I don't see any visual hands or I don't see any hands on the program. So I'm assuming that we do have we do not have any reports to share. Okay, so thank you. So let's move on to um, old business. Um, Since we don't have any, uh, since we don't have any new business this month, we're going on to old business. Uh, first, uh, on the under old business, the first agenda item is shock-free San Francisco. Uh, Commissioner Tobin's and Taurus. Um, Commissioner Tobin isn't here yet, uh, so I will go ahead and um, speak for this uh, for this particular. I will introduce this particular um, item. The commission will vote on their letter. Uh, of support for proposed legislation banning drug, dog training shock collars in San Francisco. But before we start, I do want to clarify that tonight's item concerning shock-free San Francisco is to vote on the letter of support. The commission has already voted in to support the proposed legislation at our October meeting. Tonight, we will be voting on the language of the letter, which has been provided to commissioners and has also been shared on our website. We're also taking a second vote to allow the commission to revise the letter should it need to be addressed to any additional supervisors in the future. Supervisor Preston is the letter's current recipient, but should that change and we need to revise the letter for the sake of it being addressed to someone else, the commission will be able to do that without having the letter come up for another vote. Also joining us are organizers, Ren Belby, founder and CEO of GoDogPro.com and LT Taylor, behavior and training Division Evaluator at SF Animal Care and Control. Before we vote, are there any comments or questions from the commissioners? Um, I have one comment. Okay, Commissioner Van Horn. Um, for our last conversation, I, I am certainly in favor of the nature of, of this um, in terms of, well, don't think that shot collars are used properly or effectively in 95% of the situations. Um, I'm just concerned about the very small number of times when they are effective 
And I think that the language in the proposed uh, legislation should maybe um, include an exemption for veterinary behavioralists that have extremely challenging cases, um, or like we talked about before, rattlesnake aversion training. Um, we're in these very, very limited situations. Um, you know, uh, they can be committed. Okay, I, I'm not too sure if you if you cut off or if you were done, um, Commissioner Van Horn. That's no, that's all I had to say. Like okay. I said, a, 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 an across the board ban on a tool that that sometimes has been proven to be effective um, in in very specific situations um, should be allowed after people have you know consulted professionals that have you know years of veterinary school and four years of um, training in behavioral, um, you know, sciences, and then they feel that, yeah, this is the last tool we can use um, before an animal has you know, no other options, or more importantly, the rattlesnake aversion training. Um, that's that's really the one that I got callbacks from on, on from some of my colleagues. Um, Specifically, Ryan Fulce, who I told you about, who documentation that by using shot collars, scent aversion, sight aversion, um, and rabies, uh, rattlesnake vaccines, um, 20,000 dogs he's um, trained in a one-day period, and none of them have died from rattlesnake envenomation in a place that I used to work where we lost at least one or two dogs a week in the ER from rattlesnakes. So, in very, very small, um, you know, it, it, it's it, it's a it's a not the typical way that that they're used. But I think that maybe for um, people that are are in in an animal through a veterinarian. And this is the last thing or the only thing that works for training. It might be. Okay, uh, so, so, of course, we, we already, we have already voted to um, support the, the. The draft legislation as it was um, in the proposal. But it sounds like what Commissioner Van Horn is asking for um, is to see if in the letter itself, if we can, if we would be able to write a, a sentence about um, veterinary behavioral um, ex exceptions. Um, are there any thoughts concerning that, or does do one of our organizers want to talk about that, or, or provide an answer concerning that? I see that Ren's hand is up. Okay, Commissioner, I'm sorry, Brand, please, can you please speak? Um, I apologize, I haven't looked yet. I would normally say that makes a ton of sense. The problem is, is that the American College of Veterinary Behaviorists has already put out a position statement that they do not support the use of shock collars, and I can share that with you. Um, I don't know how many veterinary behaviorists we have in San Francisco, 
Uh, Dr. Leilani Sung at the San Francisco S SPCA is the one I'm most familiar with. I think it's highly unlikely that you would find any um, veterinary behaviorists in the city of San Francisco who would agree with you on that. So I, I kind of think it's a moot point. And for rattlesnake training, the last I heard, rattlesnakes are really not a problem in San Francisco. So people who need rattlesnake training, they can go elsewhere. We're not even debating that right now. This is about within the city limits. So within city limits of San Francisco, you are not gonna find a veterinary behaviorist who supports the use of shock collars. They have already come out as a national organization against their use. Um, and I, I'd be happy to reach out to all of the veterinary behaviors in San Francisco. It's really a very small number. There's only a couple hundred in the entire country um, to get their support if that would help. For the record, I agree with you 100% that in, in San Francisco, it's, it's a non-issue. It's just that when we talk about legislation that's, you know, well, um, that could potentially become law in other places and the standard, um, I think we just need to be cognizant of um, Oh, the fact that animals that live in San Francisco also travel to Death Valley and sometimes people want training done and again it's a very very small um, very very small percentage of animals that would affect it in the city you're right we don't have nearly as many veterinary behavioralists as we should have um, but for those rare situations I think there might be a line in the, the law that says unless you know, it's recommended by somebody that does have um, the proper training to, to recommend it, then it's a small thing to add in, in a universal ban. Um, if I may, I, uh, I agree with Ren, it is extremely unlikely that a board certified vet behaviorist would ever prescribe an e-caller. Um, they are aware more than most others of the behavioral fallout that's at risk for an animal who truly needs it, they probably, that, that would be a bad situation for that particular dog. Um, with that said, um, I do see Van Horn's point, and I think it would be worth having that exception because just because it's so unlikely to happen, but, um, but I, but I do understand where that value lies. I'm sorry to make such a big issue out of it, but um, like I said, when I when I reached out to some colleagues, um, there were a few of them that had some sort of major concerns about, um, you know, recommend recommendations like this becoming standard across the board and taking away that that tool when they occasionally need it. I also am aware that, um, you know, overall, the, the AVMA and behavioralists, yeah, the, this is a tool that shouldn't be available for the general public to use on their animals. And, and I totally agree with that. I just think that, um, like I said, there might be a line of exemption for these rare situations where it's an effective uh, treatment. 
I think if this does become something of um, a template for other cities, they'll make the changes that are relevant to them. But I would really like us to focus on keeping this San Francisco based. If we were making decisions about housing or homeless, we're going to make decisions that affect our population. And so I'd, I'd like us to kind of just stay focused on that. We're not in the California state legislature right now. That probably would come up if we were. But right now we're talking about San Francisco proper. So I, I would I would like us to just focus on that because that's how the legislation is written. I agree with you 100%. Again, I just wanted to make my devil's advocate uh, sort of um, put now. Okay, uh, thank you all for that, um, for the dialogue around that um, exception. I did want to mention also one other thing too that um, that I believe Commissioner uh, Tobin did want or was putting forward to us as, as, as an update, but I don't think this was actually going to, um, after I discussed with her via email, I don't think that this is actually something that she wants to be added to the letter itself as much as, you know, just, just an FYI and maybe added in, um, not the official letter, but added as just a point of, of, of reference or acknowledgement um, to those who do receive the letter of support. And this is the statement. Um, Pet Food Express is um, making changes to the training products they currently carry and will eliminate shock collars in support of the proposed legislation. These changes are in works now and are expected to be completed by year end. So I put that out there just because that can go in the message that accompanies uh, the letter of support, or it could possibly go in the letter of support. Um, I, I would like to hear from other commissioners if they feel that it is something that should be put in there or not. And also would like to find out too, if people are okay, if commissioners are okay with the, with the letter as is, or um, if, if we do want to add in any kind of exception, such as what Commissioner Van Horn um, discussed. Is there anyone who would like to comment or, or begin the dialogue? Make a comment. This is Commissioner Fortier. I, I agree. Yes. I hear what you're um, saying, Dr. Fanhorn. And once again, your experience and vast knowledge is always so appreciated in these conversations. However, I am going to agree with Ren and say that what, what's in front of us is within the, the, the city and county of San Francisco. And I'm very comfortable banning shot collars. I, I, I just don't envision um, legitimate and useful purposes. Um, within our city, so I'm I'm okay with proceeding with the letter as is. Thank you, Commissioner Fortier. Are there any other comments from commissioners? Um, this is Commissioner Irani. Um, I just wanted to kind of agree with what Commissioner Fortier stated, which is, you know, we're the Animal Commission of San Francisco, and so we're only qualified and tasked to talk about what is happening with animals in San Francisco. And so for that reason, I wanted to also keep the scope to, um, you know, shot callers as far as animals in San Francisco and keep the letter as is. Thank you very much, um, Commissioner Irani. Um, any other commissioners? Okay. Um, I, one other thing I do, and we'll we'll come back to this in a minute, but one thing I also want to mention too is the other thing we will be voting on tonight is um is the letter itself and the fact that it is addressed specifically to uh, a supervisor. And this is a supervisor who has shown interest in the legislation. 
Uh, so that's why the letter is being directed to that office. But in the future, if we do need to um, make any adjustments, not to the text itself, but just to the recipient of the letter, um, would would we be okay with with just approving that at this point, and then you know allowing uh, commissioner, possibly most likely either the commission chair or the commission secretary to make that change in the future. Again, this would not change any of the the, the verbiage in the letter, no another language or the text itself. It would just change that it would go to this to supervisor X instead of you know supervisor. Uh, Michael, B. I have a proposal yes. about this. I say that we we approve the if we approve the letter, we approve it as is, and then secondly. We approve the letter to be sent to the supervisor of district, whatever, um, and just leave out the name of the supervisor. Okay. Okay. If we think that elections may alter the, the recipient of the letter, we just say, um, whatever. I don't know what district he is. So sorry. Yeah. In this case, yeah, it, it doesn't, it would just be a matter of, of whether or not, you know, something happens and, you know, he decides not to, to, to take it up after all. Then, you know, then we can go ahead and just send it off to another or the other. The other thing is we just send it to all supervisors. No, I think so we should send something. it to all supervisors. Okay, yeah, we send it to everyone. Absolutely. That's what we've done in the past and you want to, I mean, if, if, if it's something we believe in, then we want to get the word out to everyone. Absolutely. Okay, great. Well, then maybe that's what we do. Um, I'm sorry, I didn't understand that we were sending it to 1 typically, if we're going to send it to, yeah, we should send it to all of them. Okay, good to know. And yeah, it's, it's a learning experience for me. So I appreciate your, um, your um, sharing your knowledge concerning this and your experience. Um, so before we open up for public comment, just to be clear, we're looking at right now um, the letter as is with no changes to it. And just instead of sending it to a specific supervisor, we're going to send it to all supervisors. Is that what I'm understanding right now? Yes. Or is there any? And okay. yes, and I vote. I I move that we vote to approve the letter and to send it to all supervisors. Okay, sounds good. Okay, then what we will do right now is before we take that vote, we will open it up to public comment. Um, before we do open it up to public comment um, amongst the phones, I did want to point out that I did receive some comments via email. I'm not going to read them all. But I, I will go ahead and after they're redacted, they will be added to our agenda um, and made part of public record. Um, what I will redact from them is the last names and any identifying information such as addresses and or email addresses. But for the record, I did want to read, I have about 10 of them here. I did want to read the name of the person, where they're from, the first name of the person, and also if they are in support or not in support of the shock collar ban, okay? So first we have Kelsey uh, from San Francisco. And Kelsey is in favor of the ban. We have Carolyn. Uh, Carolyn uh, is in Oakland and she is also in favor of the ban. Uh, we have a comment from Misha and um, who's in the East Bay and also in favor of the ban. Um, we have a comment from Karen who is, uh, no, doesn't indicate where, where Karen is from but also in favor and support of the e-collar ban ordinance. Um, we have a Chris who, who's in Oakland, who is also in favor of the ban. Uh, we have um, a, a comment from Kathleen, Kathleen who, uh, who, who lives in Oakland and is also in favor of the ban. We have a comment from Katie, uh, who uh, didn't indicate where Katie lives, 
but also in favor of the, the shock band collar, it says. Um, and also we have uh, a message from, a comment from Tony. Also um, thrilled that San Francisco will be the first city to ban shock collars. Uh, doesn't indicate where Tony lives, uh, but this is also in favor of, uh, of the shock collar ban. Okay, so again, these will be available on our website. I just need to redact them and scan them and, and prepare them for upload. Okay, uh, are there any other questions or comments from commissioners before we open up for public comment? Okay, seeing none, let's see what we have. Okay, members of the public who wish to make a comment on this agenda item should hit star three on their phone to be added to the speaker's queue. Okay, let's see what we have. Okay, just so people are aware, we have what I see currently as 10 callers. So um, just to be aware, it will take a little bit of time to get to you, but we will get to everyone, okay? So first off, I am going to uh, caller number 32. Okay, I am gonna mute them. Caller, you've been unmuted and you can offer your comment, please. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Great. Give me one second here. Go into my comment, multitasking. All right. My name is Kate, and I'm a resident who is in opposition to the proposed ordinance against electronic training callers. I am a dog professional in the Bay Area with 18 years experience grooming, training, and rescuing dogs. I first became familiar with electronic training callers several years ago when I sought the help of a qualified trainer to help me address severe behavioral issues in my rescued dog. Despite my own extensive experience, I was out of my league with this particular dog, and I needed help from a knowledgeable and ethical professional to get my dog in a healthy place. I can say without a doubt that the inclusion of an electronic training collar in my dog's training plan undoubtedly saved her life. She now leads a rich life full of freedom that she never would have had access to without the use of this particular tool. I believe that the dog training industry would absolutely benefit from further regulation and would enthusiastically support legislation as a dog trainer myself that seeks to ensure ethical usage of training tools and methodologies. However, I do not believe that a blanket ban of certain or all training tools like what is proposed here in this ordinance is the correct solution. This proposed ban is a dangerous type of virtue signaling and emotional appeal from those in the dog training world who would oppose use of any training tools, and it is not helpful as it mainly punishes responsible owners who would seek to better the lives of their animals. Countries that have enacted training tool bans have already experienced the negative consequences, such as increased dog bite incidents and higher numbers of dogs relinquished to shelters. Training equipment in and of itself is not inherently abusive, and working with qualified um, professionals to utilize such tools your time is up, caller. We're going to go Thank on you. to the next caller. Thank you so much, Kate. Okay, we're going on to caller number 38. Hey, caller, you can start your comment when you're ready. Hi, um, thank you so much for having me. Um, I wanted to start by saying um, also how much, uh, my name is Madison Davis, I'm from the Bay Area, how much um, e-callers have also transformed the life of 
mine and my dogs to allow for freedom um, when I was in very much over my head and sought out a qualified trainer who taught me how to use it humanely and um, created a very um, positive connotation in the dog's mind um, so that it's a communication tool from if you wanted to say from speaking um, with a soft voice in the same room um, to like, let's say if a dog chases after a squirrel, then in that case, yes, you can raise your voice um, to get the attention of that dog. And in this way, I've seen it save lives of many dogs. Um, I also wanted to say that banning e-collars without the attempt to regulate um, the proper process of uh, distributing them is a bit rash. Um, right now, yes, you can buy e-collars online, you can buy them in stores, um, but sometimes those collars are not of the highest quality um, that a reputable trainer would be distributing to their clients. Um, and so many uh, trainers that are uh, pro use of e-collars will be against these e-collars that I think are the ones that have largely given the bad stigma to the tool itself. Um, I also wanted to say that if uh, regulation of it was um, a scene of a benefit to the people of San Francisco, uh, I would also be on board with that. Uh, we really want educated clients and educated owners to be using um, e-collars. And um, again, not just putting the tool on the dog, um, but actually having a really positive and motivational relationship with the tool, which a proper trainer would uh, help uh, the dog and the client obtain. Um, I also wanted to say that there are a lot, a lot of other dangerous training tools that um, are given a lot of positive uh, context, such as like a retractable leash. Um, so there are training tools out there that when misused um, can be extremely dangerous to other people. Um, I know of people who have gotten severe uh, burns from retractable leashes. Um, Keep calling, your time is up. Thank you so much, uh, Madison. Okay, we're gonna go on to the next caller. This is 47. Hey, caller, you can provide your comment when you're ready. Hi, my name is Alexia, and uh, I'm a dog trainer in San Francisco, and I'm against uh, e-collars. Uh, an e-collar is a training tool, like the previous attendee said, you know, re retractable leashes, gentle leaders, uh, front clip harnesses can also damage dogs in many other ways when used improperly. A shot collar, a prong collar is a tool, and it's uh, value lies in the hands of the user. It's not by itself a uh, 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 poor tool or a cruel thing to use on dogs. And I routinely train owners, especially of large, powerful dogs in San Francisco, that this is the only tool that we have that can communicate with the animal so that they understand uh, consequence to action. And, you know, putting this blanket ban on a tool like this is gonna have horrible repercussions for anybody dealing with uh, a large, strong, powerful dog, or even a little dog that comes running at one of these small dogs, or one of these large dogs. And I'm completely against this ban. Okay, thank you. Okay, thank, thank you, Alexa, you. for your comment. We're going to go on to uh, caller number 56. Hey, caller, you can make your comment when you're ready. Hello, uh, my name is Francis Metcalf, and I've been a trainer for 30 years, 20 years in the Bay Area. And um, 
most of my work has to do with positive motivation, but a few dogs do need electric collar um, training. And to those dogs, that is a life-saving tool. Um, and so I would like to put in a word against this band, and I'd like to put in a word for the elderly who may be too fragile to control a dog in some of our shared open spaces. I'd like to put in a word for wild and domestic animals who could be harassed by off-leash dogs. And I'd like to put in a word for low-income people who could be kicked out of their houses for a dog being a nuisance and they need a solution to the problem right now. So I am against this ban. The e-collar can be used in a humane and very effective way. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Francis, for your comments. Okay, moving on, we are going to caller number 64. Hey, caller, you can make your comment when you're ready. Hello. Hi. Hi, uh, my name is Tim and I am opposed to this ban. Um, this ban would severely limit uh, trainers' ability to train uh, many types of dogs. My wife and I own a training business in California and have a combined 35 years experience. We've worked with thousands of dogs and owners over the years and our business has a five-star review rating on various sites with hundreds of reviews given. We explain to clients that we are balanced trainers. That means we use all four quadrants of learning theory, including positive reinforcement. Using treats, love, and praise is an extremely important part of training. We also use electronic collars. The e-collar is an extremely powerful tool. If misused, it can cause fear, aggression, phobia, or superstitions. However, if used properly, it won't cause any of these things, and it can teach a dog to come back when you call them, prevent them from running out into the street, or prevent them from chasing a squirrel or attacking another dog. It breaks our heart to see a dog treated unfairly or abusively, and we try to always speak up against that when we see it. We've seen trainers use all sorts of tools abusively, including the e-collar, leashes, hands, and feet. Banning the e-collar will not stop bad training from happening. In fact, banning e-collars can force trainers to resort to using more archaic and inhumane methods of training. We've seen this actually happen in many European countries where e-collars have been banned. I've traveled to Europe for dog sport competitions and spoken with many trainers there about this. Instead of banning this tool, we need more good education about how to use it. At our business, when we educate owners how to use the e-collar, we first put it on them, turn it to the lowest level possible, and let them feel what the sensation feels like. At this level, it feels like a tingling sensation. Then we put the collar on ourselves and have the owner practice using it on us. We don't let the owners use the collar on their dog until they pass this test on us. Unfortunately, there's not enough time to explain why we use the e-collar and all the benefits to it, but in short, it's just one of the many tools, including treats, praise, the leash, body language, and many other forms of communication that help the dog understand what they're supposed to do. It is not an inherently abusive tool. Thank you, caller, for your comment. Yes, thank you, Tim. Okay, we are going to go on to caller number 66. Okay, Polly, you can make your comment when you're ready. Caller, you can make your comment when you're ready.
Okay, I'm not hearing anything. I would suggest caller number 66 if you want. I'm not putting your name down. I'm or your number down. Maybe try calling again. Okay, we're going to go on to the next caller. Okay. Okay, and I believe what's happening right there is that um, please make sure that when you do call from near your computer to lower the volume on your computer, otherwise you will get feedback. And I think that's what that caller was experiencing right there. So, okay, we are going to go on now to um, caller 72. Hey, you've been unmuted. You can speak when you're ready. You're ready. Hello. Hi. Hi, can you hear um, me? This is someone actually calling from the New York area as a trainer. And what I'm calling about is a concern that you guys mentioned this becoming a template for other states moving forward. And this concern lies with the other people who have fallen in that position in that this really is not an inherently bad tool. And we need more education and better produced tools. Not having I think we'll have a hard time finding a well-versed e-collar trainer or balance trainer recommending one of those cheap e-collars. Putting a blanket ban on these tools, I think, will cause a lot of harm for a lot of dogs, not only in dog sports, high-performance dogs, working dogs, deaf dogs. People, you know, handling dogs who are in over their head might not be able to physically be able to train their dog in a way that the trainer might be able to successfully do. These tools help people better communicate and be better set up for success when used properly. But putting a blanket ban on it, I don't think you're going to end up with good effects. And quite honestly, the letter is really quite extreme and not allowing room for proper use of the tools. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Okay, we're going to go on to caller. Uh, this is number 79. Okay, caller, when you're ready, you can speak, provide your comment. Hi, my name is Amy. I am a professional dog trainer that resides in the Bay Area. I've been a professional trainer for 20 years and I've been involved in training dogs longer than that as a hobby. Um, I am calling in. Uh, to not support this ban. Um, I have witnessed the proper ethical and humane use of e-collars changing people's lives and changing their dog's lives. I have clients that have worked with trainers that are consider themselves force-free for years and years and are frustrated and are sort of at the end of their their rope and their dogs are on their last, this is the last chance before the dog's going to go somewhere else and taking those clients in and helping them utilize this tool in a way that's fair to the dog and makes sense to the owner has definitely saved these dogs lives it gives them more freedom gives them the ability to take their dogs more places i've also worked with many handlers that have limited limited physical abilities and are not physically able to control large their large powerful dogs and this tool gives them that ability and i think it's unfair to those handlers. I think it's unfair to, as one of the other callers mentioned, elderly people. I think this tool needs proper legislation. I think we need more education about this tool, but I think a blanket ban on it isn't going to make it go away. It's just going to have people hiding it and hiding it is bad. I've been to places where callers are not legal and the training there is not better. It's outdated. It's brutal in some places. People are 
They don't know how to properly use aversives in training. They don't know how to use it as part of a reward-based system. And the training isn't better, it's worse. I think the tools can have a profound effect on dogs. I work with many veterinary professionals. I'm recommended by many veterinary professionals. And we, I hear a lot of talk about veterinary behaviorists, but veterinary behaviorists are not trainers. They are akin to a psychiatrist in humans. And Thank you, Caller, for your comments. Your two minutes are up. Thank you, Amy. We're going to go on to the next caller. Okay, this is caller number 84. Okay, caller, you can, you can provide your comment when you're ready. Hi, my name is Michael Ellis, and I run the Michael Ellis School for Dog Trainers in the Bay Area. Um, I've run a school for dog trainers here for 13 years, and for nearly 20 years before that, I traveled full-time nationally and internationally teaching to dog trainers around the world, police, military, service dog organizations, competitive dog trainers, pet dog owners and trainers. And I would strongly urge you guys to withdraw your support of this measure. The electronic collar is an incredibly useful and potentially humane tool if used properly, and banning of any tool is not the answer to the problem. Education always is, and anything that you ban doesn't go away. These tools are available everywhere. People will use them, and all you do is drive the use underground and discourage further education on their proper use. You'll also criminalize law enforcement personnel in your own jurisdiction who will continue to use these tools because they're necessary in certain circumstances and can be life-saving. Lots of the other traders that have spoken already have spoken to the fact that, um, that many dogs um, will be euthanized due to inadequate tools to deal with the, their problems. And if you take one off the table, other tools will step in by banning something, you don't ban bad dog training. Ultimately, we need to band together as a dog training community and as a public and increase the level of general information available to people and make sure that people are getting the proper instruction on their use. And it's absolutely true that not every dog is needs an electronic collar, but for those that do, it's an incredibly valuable tool. And there's this idea that you're either an electronic collar trainer or a positive reinforcement trainer. And much of my career has been built on introducing positive reinforcement methodologies to sport and trainers and law enforcement. And those things are not mutually exclusive. And the idea that you eliminate one does not eliminate both. So I would strongly encourage the commission to withdraw their support. Thank you for your call. Thank you, Michael, for your comments. Okay, we're going to go on to to eighty eight. Hello. Hey, Cole, you can provide your comment when you're ready. Okay, thank you. My name is Kareen Umbry, and I'm a dog owner in San Francisco who uses public uh, San Francisco parks and sidewalks on a daily basis. I'm writing. I I'm giving public comment tonight in support of the language of the proposed draft ordinance. San Francisco should prohibit the sale, distribution, and use of e-collars. I have personally seen the fallout from using invisible fences with e-collars. Our family had a German Shepherd who was supposedly trained to use this e-collar with a company, company and a trainer who said they had decades of experience. One day I smelled this horrible rotting smell. It was coming from my dog. When I approached her, I took off the collar and her skin was badly burned. 
And also when she was learning, she exhibited a lot of anxiety and yelping. And regardless of this one experience where she was burned, she was always terrified to leave the boundaries of the property. Um, and many times um, people who put themselves out to be or advertise themselves as qualified trainers might not be, and this is often an unregulated area. It is essential that this ordinance remains strong. There are multiple peer-reviewed scientific papers evaluating the behavioral responses of dogs with e-collars. And in my written comment, I provided citations. Because people have been using this tool as a popular method to suppress behavior through pain, it is important that this ordinance keep the language it has. This ordinance will educate people that other methods of trainings will result in the same response to training but will actually ensure the welfare of the animal is not compromised like it is with e-collars. And that paper I cited, um, the welfare consequences and efficacy of training pet dogs with remote training collars in comparison to reward-based training, which is provided in the written comment, um, talks about that more. Thank you again. I support the ordinance as drafted. Thank you, Corrine, for your comments. We are going to caller number 87. Hey, caller, you can provide your comment when you're ready. Caller, can you hear us? Okay, um, we're going to mute this caller and we will go on to. Uh, To Carolyn. Carolyn, you're unmuted. Hi, um, thanks for taking my comment. Um, my name's Carolyn. I've been a resident of the Bay Area for over 10 years now, and I um, strongly support this ban um, on the use of e-callers in, in San Francisco. I have heard from many other callers this evening, citing their years of experience as trainers, um, I would caution everybody in listening to these folks because these are the same people that slap an e-collar on your dog and you wind up with fallout and damage from a lifetime of your dog using this tool. I'm strongly in support of this, not just based on my own experience as a as an avid dog lover, dog owner, um, but because I've seen fallout from many different dogs experiencing these tools and also based on the science that stands behind this ban. There are no veterinary behaviorists, to my knowledge, um, that would ever encourage the use of this tool in an animal when there are far more humane methodologies available to us today, including in the training of um, rattlesnake bite aversion. There are so much more humane methodologies available to us, and that is publicly available. It is available through Ken Ramirez's dog training. Um, school. So I'd encourage people to look into that if that is a reason that you're concerned. Um, but I'm strongly, strongly in support of this ban. These tools should not be available for public use. They should not be available because they're inhumane. They're completely inhumane and they burn dogs. Thank you. Thank you, Carolyn, for your comment. We're going to go to caller number 90 or caller 90. Okay, you can provide your comment. When you're ready. Hello, my name is Susan Blanchard. I am an 18 year resident of San Francisco and also a professional dog trainer. I am strongly in opposition of the city's ban on e-callers. 
Um, they are not actually shock collars. They're very much like a TENS unit where they run an electrical pulse through the top layer of the skin, which provides a feeling at its lowest pulse where you can feel it like um, a tingle, like less than being shocked by your laundry. Now, a lot of people have cited that e-collars burn dogs. They do not. The improper use of an e-collar will indeed cause hot spots on a dog's neck. However, when used with um, professional training, the know-how, the understanding of the tool, you can use them safely and create more safe spaces, more freedom for the dogs in your life and allow elderly folks and people with disabilities significantly more ability to care for their dogs. I am strongly opposed. I am a personal e-collar user for recall. I encounter a number of obstacles on the trail every single day with my dogs and being able to recall them safely from life-threatening situations is absolutely vital to being in an incredibly compressed city. There are cars, there are horses, there are children screaming with sticks, there are aggressive dogs, there are like all manner of crazy things. I have absolutely been on the trails at Fort Funston and seen um, a motorcycle chase with the police, right, on dirt bikes following somebody who's screaming through. Being able to safely and effectively recall my dogs from that situation is something that I absolutely value, and I will have to continue using e-collars. You will criminalize my safe use of a tool that I have every right to use. You will not make them go away. You will drive you usage your underground. Comment. Your time is up, caller. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. We are going to caller uh, number 82 now. Hey, caller, when you're ready, you can make your comments. You can begin a comment. Yes, hello. Uh, yes. My name is Ivan Balabanov. I have uh, four years as a professional dog trainer experience. I worked as an animal behaviorist at the San Francisco SPCA for six years in the early 90s. I was also an instructor at Guide Dogs for the Blind in San Rafael around the same time for five years. Currently, I'm the owner of a dog training school, Training Without Conflict. I am a strong advocate for the use of positive reinforcement in dog training. Um, I don't think anybody ever doubts or questions the benefits of positive reinforcement. Unfortunately, as a professional dog trainer, we encounter many situations where positive reinforcement does not provide the desired outcome. It has been uh, proven that force free is not the, the solution that the ideology activists try to sell us all the time. Um, no trainer needs to ever resort to using aversive if there is a better option. However, the force-free advocates have failed time and time again to point out a successful treatment plan with dogs who do not respond as expected to positive reinforcement. The force-free leaders have avoided any discussion or debate with the trainers who are willing to abandon the use of aversives. Instead, they resort to balancing legislation. Clearly, there is a whole different side of the story that force-free activists don't want you to hear. 
please take the time to educate yourself. Don't just listen to the propaganda and the one side of the story. Think about the time when smartphones came around. No one had to force us to switch from flip phones. The advantages was obvious. One thing is certain, credible science is not on their side. I will be happy to direct you to overwhelming research that debunks all of the first three arguments. I can show you pictures of dogs with deformed faces because of a healthy, gentle, leader-type colors that was left to a dog unattended for a very long time. Does that mean that we ban them? I hope not. Without taking the time to educate yourself and listen to all sides, you're being manipulated by ideology that touches a soft spot in your heart, but ultimately does not provide success in rehabilitation of problem dogs. Many other countries that such bans were implemented are now considering reversal. Thank you for your call. Your two minutes are up. Thank you, Ivan, for your for your comments. We are going to move back. I'm going to try 87 again. 87 didn't respond. I want to give them one more chance to provide a comment. Caller, you're able to provide your comments at this time. It actually looks like it's still muted. Sorry to interrupt. It's still That's actually a good point. Yeah, but let's see. Oh. Hi, can you hear us? Yes, this is Kareen Umphrey. I already I already provided public comment. Okay, great. Okay, I apologize. Thank you. Okay, sorry. I must have put something wrong on my note as far as what number it was that someone had talked about. So anyways, we're going to continue on to uh just a minute. Karen We're gonna go with Kate. I see Dallas. Hello. Hi, Hannah. You're Hi able there. to provide your comment. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, my name is Hannah Schwab. I am a, a veterinary practice manager here um, in the Bay Area. Um, I have been a practice manager for over ten years. Uh, I also have a, a master's degree in political science, so I'm very aware of the uh, policy that surrounds this very complicated issue. Um, while I do sympathize and empathize with owners who have gone um, to trainers who have not been credentialed appropriately or have used inappropriate means of the e-callers, it's very unfortunate. It does happen. Um, the issue here is that veterinary science simply does not back their claims. Again, as stated, um, e-callers do not burn the skin. Um, there can be defective e-callers, just as there can be defective leashes, just as there can be defective uh, Elizabethan collars. Uh, the same as just as medications at your veterinary hospital can be reconstituted inappropriately when compounded in a medical facility. Um, accidents do happen. Things do happen. However, in this day and age, especially with um, being politically correct and making sure that everybody is, um, you know, involved appropriately by getting rid of e-callers um, is simply uh, basically is an attack on those of a lower socioeconomic background and is quite frankly, extremely ableist. Um, unfortunately, we do live in, er in an area, especially in San Francisco and Oakland that are very high crime areas. Um, we have our brothers and sisters, since we are all human, 
um, that are of those with different disabilities who have dogs service animals that provide different types of um, services to them that make it so that they are able to live appropriately. Um, some of our clients that we have are, um, uh, are hard of hearing um, and in which case they are unable to signify different types of commands to their dogs, in which case e-callers are safely used. Again, this is a TENS unit. So basically giving a small, small notification to their dog because they are unable to verbally do so is the only way that certain people are able to live um, and thrive and live an independent life in the Bay Area. Um, unfortunately, you know, not everybody has the ability to walk. Not everybody has the ability to use their arms and legs. So by getting rid of an e-caller, e-caller situations, especially for, you know, trainers using them who are highly, highly skilled. Thank you for um, your call. Your time is up. Yeah, thank you. Hi. Hello. Hi, my name is Dallas Hamilton. I'm a dog trainer in the Bay Area. I've been dog training for about 10 years. I wanted to just uh, speak to oppose the this ban to ban e-callers. When we're training dogs, we look, most trainers that are on here that I personally know um, that have been talking, we use all four quadrants. And most trainers that are banning the use of e-callers are people that are only using the positive reinforcement quadrant. Well, unlike something that they may not be aware of is there's no way that they cannot only use positive reinforcement. They're also using negative punishment, which is the removal of the dog from taking food away. And that is the most detrimental form of punishment that we can give a dog. An e-collar with the, the use that most people are using, we're using it as a way of negatively reinforcing a behavior to low level keep the dog into the behavior instead of diminishing a behavior that um, we don't want. We're actually pushing them into a behavior that we do want and we're using it in a way that is motivating and it's creating more of an ignition to the dog. I think that taking away um, the use of a tool as a whole is not what we should be looking at. What we should more so be looking at is the um, the regulation of making sure that e-callers are being taught by professionals that are being taught in an ethical and humane way and only given to owners once they've been trained in that. I think that the regulation of how they're being sold needs to be more of what we're looking at over the fact of them just not being there at all. I've had hundreds of dogs that I have trained that the use of that e-collar has given those owners a new tool that before that they have not been able to get the same success as with that tool. And it's not that we're punishing the dogs, it's that it's giving that owner a way to communicate in a low level way that gives them the step up when they are physically disabled or if they're elderly and can't use those tools. So I'm just going, there's a lot of people that spoke here. Um, I'm pretty much reiterating the same thing. I think that all of you guys that are uh, there making this bid and, and um, voting on this bid need to really look at who's educated here. We as dog trainers are the ones that are educated that we use it on a daily basis. Thank you basis. for your comment. Your two minutes is up.
Commissioner Torres, you're muted. I apologize for that. Okay, thank you, Dallas, for your comment. Uh, Jason, we are gonna, Jason, you can start your comment when you're ready. Thank you. Yeah, hi, um, I'm a practicing dog trainer, um, and I just wanted to uh, speak in opposition of this blanket ban. I think it would be highly irresponsible. Um, E-collars save lives, plain and simple. Um, countless dogs I've seen coming out of the shelter that are being put into the hands of owners who would otherwise be unable of physically controlling these dogs. And, and these are also dogs that could be potentially put down for behavioral reasons, not because they're dangerous, just because people are unable to physically restrain them, control them, um, things of that nature. And, and even when a, when a shelter won't put a dog down, um, they, they will then sometimes pass them off to rescue partners. Um, rescue partners that, that I sometimes work with who I get the call, Hey, we have this dog, we got a great home for him. Um, but they're having some problems and I'm the last phone call before that dog gets put back into the shelter or put back into the system or rehomed multiple times. Um, I can also speak to the fact that these IE collars, they do not burn the skin of the dog if left on for long periods of time. Absolutely. The same way if you wore a tight metal watch for weeks on end, you would have a rash um, at the end of that. So yes, if you have an invisible fence and you leave that collar on the dog all the time, that, that's irresponsible dog ownership and absolutely abuse is already illegal. Um, so if, if anybody's abusing a dog with an e-collar or otherwise, they should absolutely be, be prosecuted. But um, on top of saving lives of dogs that would otherwise be be untrainable um, and, and maybe just, you know, let's talk about the number of lessons that it takes or, or uh, the, the physical ability to, to influence a dog's behavior when you're not physically able. Um, but but furthermore, the quality of life of the dog, you know, an e-collar provides you the ability to actually let that dog off leash but still influence their behavior if you need to. A lot of dogs don't get to run around off leash, especially in a city. If you, you can't- your call, your two minutes are up. Okay, thank you, Jason. Okay, we're gonna go on to caller number, uh, let's see, 21. Okay, caller, you can start your comment when you're ready. Thank you. My name is Mahogany and San Francisco is my home. Um, I grew up there. I have spent a lot of time uh, training dogs in the city and I'm opposed uh, to this ban. I want to just share e-collars are not guns. Um, they have far more uses than harm, but it's difficult to learn that from people who don't use them. Just like you can't learn to drive from someone who's never driven a car or you shouldn't learn to drive from someone who has been in numerous negligent car accidents. I think that something I feel is missing here is that it seems that there's a lot of overlooking how many dogs are safe in San Francisco because of e-collars. How many trainers have helped people whose dogs were terrorizing other dogs, terrorizing other people, I spend a lot of time in the city. A lot of the trainers here spend a lot of time in San Francisco. There is so much freedom there, which is beautiful. It's wonderful to see how free the dogs are, but there are a lot of dogs in the city 
that are not getting into fights, that are not reactive to people and dogs, that are not chasing the horses that the police officers are on. Um, they're not doing those things because an e-collar has been introduced to them very responsibly and very humanely. Again, these are not guns. They don't have a sole use to injure or hurt or create fear in dogs. There's a broad use beyond that. And I think that when we talk about bans like this, we're looking at the times that they're used incorrectly, which is the same as trying to learn how to drive a car from someone who's been in a lot of negligent car accidents. It's not the full picture. And one thing that I want to ask the commission is, have you seen a trainer teach a dog on the e-collar? Have you seen this for yourself? Because if you haven't, you're missing more than half the story. You're missing actually most of it because there Thank are trainers- Thank you for your call, your two minutes are up. Thank you, Mahogany. Okay, we're gonna go on to caller number 100. Hey, Collie, you can start your comment when you're ready. Yes, my name is Michonne Mills, and I'm a retired canine handler, and I'm in opposition to this ban of e-commerce. I just want to say that taking away any tool from a person that handles dogs or trains dogs is simply irresponsible. Um, and unless you are getting the proper information on how these collars work, you're not making an informed decision. Um, these collars are a valuable tool to pet owners and law enforcement and the like, and they um, give the ability to control a dog that is um, not walking right next to you on a leash. And um, I think it's important that the commission um, get some education on what the proper use of an e-collar is before they make any kind of, de of a decision banning something that is an absolutely valuable tool for all dog owners and all trainers. And that's all. Thank you. Thank you, LaShawn, for your, um, for your comments. Okay, we're going to comment to caller 97. Okay, you can start your comment when you're ready, caller. Hello. Hi. Hello, my name is James Keating. I'm a Bay Area dog trainer, specifically higher level canines. And some of these dogs, the highest levels up, even the dog Cairo, who helped in the Osama bin Laden raid, was e-collar trained. Most police canines are e-collar trained. Most military dogs, with some exceptions, are e-collar trained. And I'm curious, through all that, how many, as an adjunct, how many e-collar abuse cases have been seen by the ACC or the SPCA, if anybody knows? Probably none. And as we continue with that, where does this band go? Where does it continue to go? Are you going to do harnesses, halties, choke chains, check chains? Are we going to continue to put umbrellas and covers over the eyes of dogs as the SPCA and SF is currently doing? Or are we going to continue to drug dogs without the ability to actually train them, which a decaller actually does in a humane and safe manner? This whole band is nonsense, and it's just an agenda based on two dog trainers who really have no concept and a failed ideology regarding the tool in itself. So I'd like to see this ban just rescinded completely. The city has better things to do. And obviously, if you walk these streets, much better things to do than consider a training tool ban. And that's all I have to say. Okay, thank you, Jay, for your comments. 
We're going on to Chelsea, to Kelsey. Kelsey, you can start your comment when you're ready. Hi, my name is Kelsey and I'm a resident of San Francisco and also a dog owner of a 70 pound year old um, big Bernadoodle. Um, she's quite powerful and I just wanted to thank you guys so much um, for taking up this ordinance on banning shot collars in San Francisco. Um, I primarily view my role to keep my dog safe in the city and unfortunately, um, many of my friends' dogs have been um, experienced redirected aggression while hiking um, and um, hiking in the San Francisco parks. And so basically a dog um, who's on an e-collar is recalled and then they have redirected aggression on their dog and they've ended up in emergency rooms and so forth. Um, I also wanna point out that many people who are calling are opposed um, to the ban and they're not actually residents of the city. And so I would encourage all of you to listen to um, the residents of San Francisco who are supportive of this um, as well. And so I just thank you so much for taking this up and supporting um, um, you know, the, the ban of the sale and uh, distribution of collars um, and including dog walkers and, and so forth. Um, with regards to the comments about the police, I would encourage you all to look into the Marshall Project for more information on police work and dogs um, and some of the risks associated with uh, balance training. And so um, I, overall, I would feel so much safer in San Francisco um, if these tools are banned. Thank you. Excuse me. Thank you, Kelsey, for your comments. Okay, we're going to go on to uh, to Sheila. Sheila, you can start your comment when you're ready. Hi, thank you. I am also a dog owner in San Francisco and one that actually uses an e-collar quite frequently. And I'm very, very grateful to have it for the safety of my dog. And I understand that this letter has been approved to move forward, but I would like to push for language that edits it away from a universal ban and one that stimulates um, stipulates proper training and usage of high quality collars. To me, a universal ban is like banning alcohol because some bad actors decide to drink and drive. I have a two-year-old 20-pound Havanese. He gets more treats and love than most children probably do. And I worked with a balanced trainer to introduce an e-collar for um, ensuring proper recall. San Francisco has ample off-leash space. We have the Presidio where it does not have rattlesnakes, but it has coyotes and it has plenty of other off-leash dogs who can be aggressive. Um, a universal ban of this form quite honestly terrifies me as a small dog owner. Um, Oliver's training has allowed him to recall about nine times out of 10, if not 19 out of 20 times when called by voice. But for that, I'm not willing to take that one chance when I need to recall him away from a coyote or an aggressive dog. And the e-caller allows me to do that with confidence and with safety, both for him and myself. Um, he does off-leash pack walks and he is constantly praised for his recall out of 15 other dogs because of the foundational training that we did with, again, a balanced trainer with plenty of positive praise and love at, this, at his safety at his core. Um, so again, I understand, unfortunately, that this letter is moving forward, but I strongly encourage the commission to consider the language to away from a universal ban and one that stipulates safe usage of callers um, in San Francisco. Thank you. Thank you, Sheila, for your comment. We're going on to Telia. Talia, you can um, comment when you're ready. Thank you. Hi, yes, I already spoke, but I think I had a little bit of time left and I'd like to revisit because I didn't realize that it was my turn to speak. Um, I do want to bring up how it doesn't seem like, again, the language seems very extreme and it doesn't seem like, at least from the discussion that you guys had before, um, people got to speak on it, that you had anyone other than a vet behavioralist 
uh, weigh in on this or studies that honestly are way too short. Like some of them are just five days long. And if you try to do anything with a dog in just five days, let alone introducing a new STEM type of technology to them, you're not going to get anywhere. And I want to call in and really kind of call you guys out too is, are you just pandering to us? Are you just pandering to us or are you just listening to one side of vet behavioralists and some money and that's it? Like, I don't understand what these comments are for if it seems to be going forward and the only emails you brought up earlier were for people in favor of this. It just seems very one-sided to me and not very fair or educated overall. So I urge you guys to really educate yourselves and go see how these tools are being done properly and used properly and really take a look at what benefits it has for all types of dogs in need of, you know, any type of training tool generally. Once you ban one, what stops you from banning all the others? Thank you. Thank you, Talia, for your for your comments. <laughs> um, okay, we are going to go to Tierney. Tierney, you can start your comment when you're ready. Hi there. Can you guys hear me? Okay. Yes. Hi. Yes. My name is Tierney. Um, I'm actually a professional dog trainer, but I'm specifically wanting to speak on a situation that I came and ran into when I was in the city of San Francisco. I am frequently in that city. I'm frequently training in that city and I'm frequently taking my personal dog to Chrissy Field. One time I had taken one of my personal dogs when I had first moved to California to Christie Field where an off-leash dog had approached us without any sort of training tools and no reliable training. The dog that I was walking at that time was muzzled, was dog aggressive, and had severe behavioral issues. The dog needed to be walked and needed to be potted as we had just driven six hours. That dog would have attacked another dog without the use of the training tools mentioned. I additionally want to bring up that there is a dog currently in your shelter who is being who is being held for having bit two people in your city. That dog is being held because of another trainer's tool bias. The trainer had chosen not to utilize tools, and as a result of her actions, that dog is now being hurt, held, and is, is currently on a hold for having done damage to other people, one of them being a child. Utilizing tools can save lives, and it can also protect the citizens of your city. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. Okay, next we have um, Wallet, it looks like. Um, Wallet, you can start your comment when you're ready. Yeah. Hi, my name is Walid. I'm a dog trainer in the Bay Area, and uh, and I'm against the ban against e-callers simply because I'm against any umbrella ban to any training tool because that's not the answer. Um, I don't see San Francisco banning any glass breaking tools that robbers are using to break into people's cars. So the same applies to e-callers. Any training tool can be used properly and can be misused. An e-caller can be used an intensity that's not aversive or that people like people are saying burning to the dog. But it can also be used in a proper way that's not aversive to the dog, just like a gentle leader. Just like the, just because a gentle leader is called a gentle leader, it doesn't make it gentle. And just because the e-caller is called shock caller, it doesn't make it uh, aversive or a bad tool. So the gentle leader used at a certain intensity can snap a dog's neck. And an e-caller used at a certain intensity can also cause some physical maybe 
aversion or physical pain or discomfort, whatever it is. And it can also cause psychological, but same thing applies to any tool, slip leads, um, prong collars, uh, gentle leader, uh, which is called the halty and anything else. So an umbrella ban does not make sense. I think what really makes sense would be as regulation and making sure that people who are using any tool, not just the e-collar, are educated enough and know exactly what are the pros and what are the cons for that tool and how to use it right and what are the wrong uses of the tool. And that's my comment. Thank you. Okay, thank you so much for your comments. Let's see, I think we have one more comment. Hey, caller number 21. Hey, caller, you've been unmuted. You can offer your comments. I've spoken already. Okay, I apologize for that. Thank you for your honesty. Okay, I think I think we've gotten every caller. Okay, yes. Can we get um, David Wright? You see a David Wright? Let me see. Underneath Hannah Schwab. I wonder if that's one that just has popped up. Uh, no, I don't think we did. Good, good call. Let me just double check and let me look through these again real fast. Okay, I, I don't, David seems to have disappeared from my screen. Let me just double check. Okay. Okay, David, you can make a comment when you're ready. Hi, how are you? Can you guys hear me? Hi. Yes, we can. Okay, perfect. So um, I've, I've owned dogs pretty much all my life. Um, I've resorted to trying to train the dog myself. Uh, I've hired trainers. At one point I had a dog that was dog aggressive and people aggressive. And she would not respond to food when she got in that space where she wanted to go after somebody or after somebody's dog. She would not respond to even the space. Like if I got a block away or 10 feet away, it, sometimes it wasn't enough to get the dog's attention. And what a, what a trainer showed me when they used the e-collar was that sometimes that interruption is enough to get the dog's attention so that you can give them more information. And that's really what it boiled down to. And so they explained it to me in a way where it was like, if I love watching football, I'm watching a football game and uh, my wife comes in and she's like, hey, take out the trash. And I go, yeah, right after this quarter, but I actually don't get up. That's not, you know, she needs to do a little bit more to get my attention. And so maybe she stands in front of the TV and she's like, hey, David, get up. I need you to go take out the trash. And then begrudgingly, I'll do it. And so when I learned how to use the e-collar from this trainer, it helped me get to that point where 
my dog would walk down the street. If she, before she got a chance to really blow up, I could use the e-collar to get her attention. She'd pay attention to me. Then I could say, hey, sit for me or take these treats or do this or do that because she wasn't in a, in a space where she was just like consumed by, you know, her frustration or her anger. So, um, I, it, you know, it's, it's really emotional, I think, for a lot of dog owners to, to, to look at an e-collar and say it's a bad tool, but I can speak firsthand and say that it's, you know, it it definitely helped me with with that one particular dog. And there's, I, I can't imagine- Thank you for not your comment, your two minutes are up. Thank you for your comment. All right, thank you. Robin, did you see Robin? Oh. Michael, you're muted. Okay, Angela, do you have a comment? Yes, hi, um, I'm Angela. I'm a dog trainer in California. And I just wanted to point out that everyone that who has called in to be opposed to this ban has been dog trainers. Um, everyone else who, has commented uh, in favor of the ban has been pet owners, but the majority, everyone else who has commented has been a professional dog trainer who supports the use of e-collars. I have been the last stop for many dogs in uh, my camps where the dog was either gonna get rehomed or put in a shelter or euthanized. And now those dogs are living fantastic lives because of the use of an e-collar. I strongly urge that if you guys are going to be putting a blanket ban on such tool like an e-collar that you guys watch not one but multiple good balanced dog trainers use e-collars properly because I think you guys would be shocked by the way that they are used and they're not just used to create pain or fear or anxiety. They actually help a lot of dogs that do have fear and anxiety open up and be confident in themselves. So please, I urge you guys that if don't just put a blanket ban on something, a great tool that could be used to help many, many dogs. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Um, looks like we have a, one for Tony. I'm going to go ahead and unmute Tony. Good evening. Hey, Tony, offer your comment when you're ready. Yes, sir. Uh, my name is Tony Matthews, and I am a dog trainer as well as California. I work with not only the general public's pets, but as well as police canines and sport working dogs. The tools that you are looking to blanket ban are a useful tool in the effect that it actually clarifies communication between the handler and the animal. This is a tool that needs to be seen and used with an actual dog trainer, somebody who is a professional. That's why you have so many professionals coming on board to tell you that you are going to be taking valuable tools out of the hands of people who need it the most with animals that need a little bit more to help clarify that communication. Pet owners, I understand that some people, you know, they love their pets and they think that it's, you know, ouchy, it hurts, but have you tried it? I've tried it on myself and it's a little tickle. It's not that bad. And it actually helps my dog do what she needs to do when she is out doing her thing on the sport field. And she is excited when I take it out because there's a positive way to use it and not just a negative as everybody sees. 
So please do more research, reach out to the balanced dog trainers and go for yourself and learn with them before you make any decision on this, because a fully educated decision is the best one you could possibly have. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Um, do you show any other uh, callers? I saw Robin. Uh, Robin, let me see, because I thought I saw Robin as well, but I, I thought I saw a hand disappear, but let me just double check. Okay, we'll do Robin. Hey, Robin, when you're ready, you can offer a comment. Oh, thank you. Thank you for allowing me to comment. Uh, my name is Robin McFarlane. I am not from the San Francisco community. However, I am a professional dog trainer. I have spent most of my career actually educating other dog trainers on the use of this particular tool because we do recognize that it is something that needs education. Uh, I am obviously opposed to the ban um, for a number of reasons. One, and many of them have been stated. You're taking away the tool for a number of people that potentially truly need this tool. You are taking away this tool for a number of dogs who are given a second chance at life, certainly, but also for a number of dogs who simply would not be able to enjoy the level of freedom without having this tool at their disposal. Um, but also, it deeply concerns me that San Francisco is a very significant community, obviously, in the United States, and you will be setting a precedent that is going to have a ripple effect that I find deeply disconcerting for dog owners throughout the country. You've had an opportunity this evening to hear from some of the most world-renowned trainers, not only in this country, but around the globe. We've heard from Ivan, and we've heard from Francis, and we've heard from Michael. These are people that are so highly respected across the globe, and they have all said exactly the same message. This is a tool that needs education. We're all encouraging education. We all stand behind education. A blanket ban will not stop misuse of this tool. It will not stop misuse of other tools. It will lead to a ripple effect that I think this commission does not fully recognize what potential you're going to unleash. I'm going to strongly ask you to reconsider it and to continue to speak to educated trainers that have actually used this tool with success before you push this forward on your agenda. Thank you for listening to us this evening. Okay, thank you, Robin. Um, Commissioner Ozenoy, do you see any other callers? Don't, but have we, let's see. I thought I saw the Valley dog training. Yeah, but there, I no longer see a hand there. Okay. Um, did we get, sorry, just looking at them again. Do we get caller 75? 75 was one that we tried before, but couldn't, I don't believe came on. Let me go ahead and try again. Let me find out. Okay. Hi, caller, you can make your comments. Hi, good evening. Thank you. Um, I'm calling on behalf of the International Association of Canine Professionals, the IACP. We are an organization of professional canine trainers uh, and behaviorists worldwide. We have over 2,500 members, and we have a significant amount of membership in the San Francisco area. Um, while some of the training tools draw attention from legislative proposals more than others, 
None are more widely misunderstood or attacked than the electronic caller. Due to intensive marketing efforts, even the name and functionality has been mislabeled as a shop caller. Through modern advancements and inventions, the e-caller of today uses a similar electrical impulse to the transcutaneous electrical nerve stimulation, the TENS unit, which has been mentioned before. Used by millions of individuals globally to heal tendons by increasing blood circulation. Just as trained, qualified individuals use the TENS unit in the healing process of the human body, trained and qualified canine professionals are able to apply the use of e-collars in dog training to allow dogs and their handlers freedoms to work and live with their dogs in harmony and transfer this knowledge to their clients. There's no debate that the e-collars serve hundreds of purposes in the canine world. Some of them include off-leash reliability, which has been mentioned before, creating a healthier relationship between dogs and their handlers, containing dogs in areas where physical fences are not an option, effective communication and control of dogs of all shapes, sizes, and temperaments, allow individuals with physical limitations the opportunity to train and communicate with their dogs, reduce behaviors that often result in removal from the home and or euthanasia, and increase safety for hunting, search and rescue, military, police, and other working dogs. The IACP believes that there are standards which define a good quality e-collar. They should include being well-built and designed with safety and comfort for dogs in mind, be from a manufacturer with a focus on research and development, as well as published standards of quality Thank you, caller, control. your two minutes are up. Thank you, caller. Thank you. Thank you for your call. If if you have spoken, um, could we ask that you press star three so that we can see your hand go down? Because I think I also see Diana. Yeah, I see Diana. I see another caller as well. Thank you so much. All right, I see Diana. I believe Dallas has spoken. Oh, and I it's see Dallas. Diana, I think 23 has spoken. All I see left is, and we're probably gonna, these will be the last calls, is uh, there's an Diana, I believe there's an Erica, and um, there's Kylie. a caller that's, I'm sorry? I see Kylie G. She's spoken. Okay. Uh, okay, so we're we're gonna okay because so we have these are the last callers. Okay. We have one one two, one one three, one one four. Erica and Diana. And um. And I apologize. What were those names? Erica, Diana. 112, okay. 113, and 114. Okay, so those will be our last callers. Okay, great. So we'll go with, uh, okay, caller 112. Okay, caller, you can offer your comments. Hi, I'm Christina, and I'm just a resident in San Francisco. Um, I have a dog, um, and taken her to um, various dog training places. And it concerns me that um, like a lot of science seem to have pointed to 
not using um, shock collars, particularly since they're banned in a lot of other countries. And if we are to be the forefront of like humane practices, I feel like San Francisco should really consider a ban. Um, and I don't really let my dog play with other dogs that have like e-collars or other um, types of collars or um, owners that don't use positive reinforcement um, because they can get overly reactive or be in a place that isn't like healthy for my dog um, and for the community at large. Um, so that was my comment and I'll turn it over to the next caller. Okay, thank you, Christina. Okay, this is caller 113. Okay, caller, you can make your comment when you're ready. Hello? Hello? Yes. You can start your comment. Okay, hi. Um, okay, you can hear me now? Yes. Okay, my name is Meryl. I'm a dog trainer. I've been training for a little over 10 years, uh, and I just wanted to voice uh, the, my opposition to this ban, um, along with a lot of other people. Not only am I a dog trainer, what I wanted to touch on is these are not tools that I, you know, these are tools that I use on my own personal dogs as well. And I know a lot of people as dog training professionals talked about with their clients' dogs, but I like to talk about the way in which they've not only helped my clients' dogs and the lives of my clients, but how much better they make my own life and my own personal dogs. Because all of us that use tools, whether we're trainers or whether we are, whether they are clients who have hired well-versed balanced trainers, all of us are using these tools on our own personal dogs as well. I personally do not view them as a last resort tool. While they do have their time and place to be used in that way, and I have a lot of clients who've been through a lot of other trainers and, you know, especially force-free trainers, and this is kind of their last resort, um, this is primarily for me a tool that gives dogs and their owners freedom, which I know a lot of people have talked about. And I think that is really, really important. Um, and like, my, like another person said, it's not just one use with this tool. And personally, I have a lot, a lot of clients in San Francisco, um, so I'm there all the time working. And I mean, I have clients all the time in San Francisco that have worked with veterinary behaviorists, especially at uh, San Francisco SPCA um, and just other institutions in the city that were told that their only option is to sedate their dog or put it on medication. And this, there's this idea that there's even death before discomfort that euthanizing the dog is better than potentially using some stim from a training collar to give the dog a better quality of life and to keep it alive overall. And personally, I think removing this tool, like everybody else has said, it's not gonna remove bad training. It is just gonna force people to be really limited in what they're able to do with their pet dogs. And, and that's just not something that I think uh, is gonna serve anybody. And personally, I have a bunch of clients coming up for next year that if this passes, I won't be able to help them and nobody will be able to help them because they've already been through multiple force free trainers. Your time is up. Good evening. My name is Frances Hurley. I have professionally trained dogs in San Francisco for 14 years. 
I'm extremely concerned about the proposed ordinance criminalizing the use and sale of e-collars and strongly disagree with a blanket ban of e-collars. Many communities would be negatively impacted by this, from everyday dog owners who take their dogs to off-leash spaces that are often gridlocked by busy city streets, canine units with San Francisco Police Department who rely on e-collars to train and safely manage their dogs, elderly and physically disabled communities who use these tools to communicate with their dogs, low-income communities who can't afford the veterinary emergency bills and the what-if scenario if their dog runs across the street and gets hit by a car. And as mentioned, rattlesnake aversion programs that are wildly effective. Just minutes north and east of San Francisco, there is an abundance of rattlesnakes, and I see them several times a year on hiking trails in Marin County. A ban wouldn't keep people from obtaining and using e-collars. It would, however, keep people from receiving quality instruction from reputable dog trainers. I think a compromise could be regulating the dog training industry in San Francisco, similar to dog walking permit system through the animal care and control to ensure that professional dog trainers are qualified, licensed, and insured. I support those who choose not to implement this tool in their training, and I understand that many who aren't familiar with how the tool is implemented when used properly may be inherently uncomfortable with it, but ultimately these tools can save dogs' lives. I don't believe in death before discomfort. A dog getting hit by a car or attacking wildlife is much more painful and life-threatening than a low-level e-collar stim. A dog being euthanized because they aren't responding to rewards-based training methods is not fair. I have taken in countless euthanasia case dogs as fosters and training clients, many of which have worked with countless force-free trainers without reliable results. There is no one method that works for all dogs. Alongside two other San Francisco dog trainers from Refined Canine, I started a petition in opposition of this ordinance two weeks ago. And in that time, we received over 7,500 signatures and comments in support of the responsible use and application of this life-saving tool, which is eight times the signature of the shock-free petition in favor of this ban that was started a month ago. I think those numbers speak volumes. I think before taking a stance to impose a blanket ban and criminalize the people who want to advocate for their dog's safety, the San Francisco Board of Supervisors and Animal Control- Thank you for your call, your well time is up. Okay, thank you for your comments. Michael, I also see caller 120 and also Jackie. Okay, so and we'll Diana. go to caller 120. Yeah, Diana, Jackie, caller 120, and I think that's it. Unless was that caller one fourteen that we just spoke with? Yes. Okay, so, so then Jackie, so Diana, Diana, and caller one twenty. Okay. So Diana, Erica, uh Jackie, and caller one twenty. Okay, and those are our last callers. Okay. okay. Sounds good. So we'll do caller one twenty. Okay, caller, you can comment when you're ready. Hi. Um Hi. I am I am calling um, to share my story. Um, I worked, I'm a client, a former balance trainer, Cobra Canine. Uh, we rescued a dog and within the very first meeting um, on the phone, they started recommending e-callers. Through about a year of training with them, um, the reactivity that my dog was experienced was the e-caller was continued as the tool of choice uh, and additionally prong callers and this only made his reactivity worse. Um, I'm a marketer. I know that when you have a lot of money, 
it's really easy to come up with the right language and get your message out there. And that's what I see balance training as. Um, it is a quick, there's no doubt in anyone's mind, as everyone has said here, these tools work, but they suppress behavior that can be fixed. It's like putting a Band-Aid on a wound that needs stitches. We are now a year and a half in with a force-free trainer uh, using uh, positive reinforcement and more specifically teaching our dog to feel safe with us, like we're the adult with them when we're out in the world and his reactivity is not there anymore. And we made the choice to switch over because balance training just wasn't working um, at all. And I've heard a lot of people talk about the extremes here um, of balance training or euthanasia. And I think that's just a little bit ridiculous and not <laughs> the actual experience that most people have in the city of San Francisco. And that is what we were talking about. The city of San Francisco, there is no need for pain and aversive tools that will suppress behaviors as opposed to actually healing them. That's my final statement. Okay, thank you for sharing. Okay, we're gonna go on to uh... Okay, to Jackie. Hey, Jackie, Hi. you can offer your comment when you're ready. Hi, I'm Jackie. I am a dog trainer and I am also a veterinary professional. Uh, E-collars are an unparalleled tool to create off-leash reliability with your dog. I also work in an emergency vet hospital. I'm personally seeing countless dogs that have been attacked by off-leash out-of-control dogs and who have also been hit by cars in instances that could have been avoided if the dog was properly trained by an e-collar. Uh, e-collars used properly can save lives, not only the lives of dogs that can't be controlled off-leash, but dogs that are purely positive trainers would recommend behavior euthanasia. Um, I've also seen um, cases where dogs have been bounced from um, other trainers, other shelters that have not used an e-collar and the behavior has gotten so bad that if the dog was just trained on an e-collar, the dog could have been saved, but yet um, it had to visit me in the e uh, in the emergency vet hospital to be euthanized. Um, so last statement, I believe e-collars and banning e-collars is, um, is the wrong thing to do. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Jackie, for your comments. Okay, we're gonna go on to uh... To Erica. Erica, you can make your comment when you're ready. Hi there. I'm a Bay Area resident. Um, I have also been in animal welfare for a little over 22 years now. So that includes running an animal shelter, uh, vet tech at a critical care ER facility, uh, as well as being a trainer. There's been a lot of stuff already said um, on both sides. One thing I do want to say is I think we can all agree that everybody that's called in today is passionate about their dogs and they love their dogs. So that is, you know, it, it's for professionals like us, it's kind of mind blowing how we can all be on such different islands about this. 
Um, one of the other hats I wear is that I am a certified euthanasia technician. So the first thing I do want to touch on was the comment that was recently made that euthanasia for behavior is not a problem in San Francisco. It is a problem everywhere. I'm the person that actually has to spend those final moments with your dog for whatever reason that they are, you know, coming to me, uh, you know, in a clinic setting. And that's so far from the truth. What happens a lot, unfortunately, in San Francisco is the dogs go for years, as already been stated, being passed around from different owners, different rescues, stashed. I have dogs come to me that are on five and six different medications. They can barely walk. They, you know, if they were a human, they would look drunk and all for the no discomfort kind of umbrella that everyone has put over that. Well, if you ask the dog, I promise they'll tell you that they're not comfortable in the state that they're in. So one of the things I just really encourage everyone to think about is, can you put your emotions aside on this? There's been lots of talk of studies, right? How reliable are those studies? There's a study that's been done that shows if you compare stress levels to a dog where you've asked the dog to do something and they didn't, and you don't give them their ball or their treat, which is what the quote purely positive or force-free movement would do, actually creates more stress in a dog than by simply saying, hey, nope, that was wrong, and giving a light tap on a remote collar. Again, I said remote collar, it's been said, these are not electronic collars, these are TENS units that are used on children and physical therapy offices and chiropractor offices. So this is a very emotionally charged topic, but it is an important one. Um, I think that allowing owners in San Francisco to continue to be advocates for their dog and to continue to seek out professionals is going to be the best way we can help the most dogs. Uh, education is huge. Uh, that's kind of a topic for a different meeting, but I really would encourage you guys to- Thank you for your comment. Your time is up. Thank you, Erica, for your comment. Okay, we're going to Diana. This is the last comment. Oh, Valley hey, Dog came back again. Sorry, I think they popped off and then came back. One last. Okay, well, at some point though, we do need to- We have move to on move on. That will be our last one. Thank you very much for pointing that out. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's the whole point of having public comment is, of course, we want to offer it, but it's not. Well, anyways, we'll go ahead and continue on. But thanks again, um, Commissioner Rosenoy. Valley training will be the last one. We'll go back to Diane. Okay, Diane, when you're ready, thank you for your patience. When you're ready to make your comment, please proceed. Hi there. Um, I'm making a comment as a dog owner. I am not a dog trainer. I'm just a dog owner. Um, and I live in San Francisco. Um, and. I've, you know, I've heard both sides or I've worked with mostly forced free trainers um, and I have met and like worked with balanced trainers just so that I had the full picture. I sort of reached a plateau with dog training with, with my own dog. Um, and it's, I definitely would not say that like balanced training has been a last resort, but I, I don't, I'm not really in favor of this ban. Um, even though I like, I do believe in force free training and positive reinforcement, but I think that this ban is making is sort of dictating for dog owners and not, I mean, not just dogs, but dog owners, the kind of like lifestyle that they want to lead. I will fully admit that I probably got a dog without like fully understanding the amount of work that would go into it. And I don't think anyone that knows me that I've worked with um, would say that I haven't taken this responsibility very seriously. Um, 
but I would be concerned that by banning, you know, remote callers, e-callers, whatever you want to call them, you're telling people like, this is like force-free training is the only way that you can do this. And I, I do believe that most people should be training their dogs with that type of method, but it's honestly not that easy. It's really hard if you are single. I, I mean, in my own case, I'm a single dog owner. I'm, you know, I work full time. If I had all the time in the world, I probably would, of course, do force-free training exclusively, but it's just not that easy. And I also think that there's consideration for- your comments, for, your time is up. muted hey, commissioner Ozenoy, do you see a hand still up i don't i did we get 120 i think 120 was gonna be the last one i think valley dog training dropped off again okay so so then we'll do 120 as the last one and that that's the one yeah okay great okay thank you okay and sorry i was unmuted i, I have a little bit of a cough so i didn't want to cough into the microphone so i admitted myself and i apologize that i didn't notice before i started speaking that i was still uh, unmuted. So, anyways, here I or muted rather. Okay, here we go. Okay, caller one twenty. You're ready to give your comment, please. Thank you for your patience. Um, I um. I already Did made a already comment, speak? but I'm happy. Okay, you know, I'm, I'm happy to to to, to speak again. Uh, if I have this two minutes, no, it's okay. Because... We're fine. Okay, thank you so much. Okay, we're not fine. This is not fine. Actually, okay. this is disgusting. Okay, so um, I believe we have all callers. All callers have made their comments already, so we can, um, Commissioner Ozenoy, are we okay with closing public comment? Oh, Valley, we are. Valley, uh, oh my gosh, Valley uh, dog training's back again. Okay, we will try one last time. I think we keep the connection and, and returning, so yeah. Okay, I know, because we did try to call on them before, but yeah, and they again, fell. there wasn't anything. Okay. So we'll try one more time. Okay. And this will be the last call. Okay. Valley Dog Training, are you ready to make your comment? Hello. Yes, I am. I'm so Hi. sorry. I was having connection issues. Um, okay. My name Thank is you. Kim, and I have been training in the city for the last year and a half. I live in San Francisco, and in the last year, I've trained over 150 dogs. And I have helped multiple families, people with disabilities, people of all sorts of ranges and age with using e-collars in the city. I believe that they can not only save dogs' lives, but also provide an incredible amount of freedom in a city where we have a lot of traffic, a lot of things that can pop up that can cause a lot of issues. Um, people simply do not have the space or the resources to create scenarios where they can use desensitization and allow their, we just don't have years to practice these things. Using e-collars and these tools that are available to us provide us with the ability to save dogs' lives and give people the freedom to have a dog that enjoys their life. People have spoken here about certain scenarios where an e-collar burned a dog or things like that, and we've been really clear that they can be misused. But to put an all-out ban is to absolutely kill dogs and put them down. And I fully believe that if we do that, we are going to take away so much freedom and so 
much ability for people to have enjoyable life with their dogs. And it's just not right. And I really encourage you guys to not follow through with this all-out ban. It's just not fair to people who have put all of the time and effort into making sure that their dogs are okay. San Francisco is a city of choice, and it's not right to take away choice from the people. That's all I have to say. Okay, thank you so much for your comment. As I mentioned, that would be our last comment. Um, we're gonna close public comment. Okay, thank you to everybody for your comment. Um, I appreciate everybody's passion and um, everybody taking the time to explain uh, their positions either for or against. But as I mentioned earlier, we have already decided to support this proposal and this item was to be or is to be only concerning the letter of support. Okay, I will go ahead and turn it over to any commissioners who do have any questions or have any uh, comments um, following public comment. As I said, there were a lot of very passionate um, commenters who spoke, and I appreciate the time that they, that they shared with us to share their comments. Are there any commissioners who have a comment or, or would have any kind of questions before we proceed? Okay, Commissioner Fortier, please. Yes, thank yes. you. Um, it, I would like to hear more about how these collars are used in training. It appears that many people believe that they can be used humanely and effectively, and we haven't heard any of that um, in the previous presentations. So I suggest that we shelve this for now, and then we hear about how these products can be used in our city, in our city by some of these trainers. If if someone would be willing to come before us and give us examples, maybe there's some videos or demonstrate how it can be hum used humanely. I, I think that'd be beneficial before we move forward with any kind of proposed ban. Okay, thank you for your comment. But again, and, and you know, help me with this, um, uh, Commissioner Fortier, I, I look up to your experience. We have already voted to support the ban. This is only for the issuance of a letter. Um, Supervisor is already aware that we have supported the ban or the proposal, I should say the proposal to ban. Um, what, what are you suggesting we do? Well, I suggest we take another vote. I mean, I don't, I don't know if other people agree with me and that's fine if they don't, but um, you know, I'm not sure that maybe the, the entire community had time to um, review the proposal. Um, maybe people didn't have time to come and maybe we didn't um, disseminate the information in time for trainers to come um, at the initial presentation. Um, but it seems that um, it, it seems that this that there are other views that we were not privy to when we agreed to this ban. And I think uh, in the interest of transparency, um, if we are going to speak for the people, for the dog owners and the trainers of our city, I recognize that many of the people who called in were not from San Francisco. Nevertheless, I think it's a good idea to hear and to hear how these products are used. Okay, I appreciate your your um, your explanation and, and thank you for it. Um, do we have any other uh, comments from commissioners? I saw Ren's hand go up. I also okay, have and I'll call on Ren in just a minute. But okay. um, did you have one as well, Commissioner Rosenberg? Would you I rather do. speak I... after Ren speaks? Yeah, yeah. I feel like we we got a lot of information tonight um, from an opposing viewpoint, which is exactly what this is for. This is how this process is supposed to work is we are supposed to 
um, you know, get a well-rounded viewpoint from from all the different sides. I was especially, I think, what really uh, struck me was uh, one of the callers who mentioned how ableist um, this might be, especially for people that are older and unable to control a dog in another way. So I would really like to, um, to Commissioner Fortier's point, I, I feel like I need to become more educated on all the sides and, and watch some more, like just do more research uh, myself, um, read up uh, on both sides of this argument. You're muted. Again, I apologize for that, everybody. Um, any other um, commissioners who would like to comment before we hear from Ren? Okay, I'm not seeing anyone indicate. So, Ren, are you able to speak? Yeah. With this, um, concerning this, thank you. I actually am quite impressed with the um, IACP. They're an organization that opposes any regulation of dog training. They're national as well as Michael Ellis's dog training in Santa Rosa, and they mobilized their forces. And it was as if we were hearing the same thing over and over again. So it sounded like, yeah, there was a lot of opposition, but I was kind of, you know, listening and taking notes and they were mostly reading off a script and many of them were not from San Francisco. Um, so th this is an organization that does have a lot of clout and they're not local. And one of the things that we are doing is talking to people who are local. We could have, had we known this was gonna come up, we could have had Gene Donaldson from the SPCA. We could have had, you know, we could have, we are just as well able to get top people in dog training. This was something that went viral. I was alerted to it at about noon today on Facebook that all of these people were like, oh shit, this is happening. So I'll just be honest, even though it, there was, you know, 60, 70 people responding, they were all saying the same thing and they were all reading from a script. Okay, respectfully, Ren, um, yeah. you don't attend our meetings very regularly, but but what we saw tonight is very similar to the way the procedure works um, with a lot of issues that we cover. Um, the cat community comes out regularly. Uh, many times individuals are repeating the same things that other people have said. Nevertheless, it is our duty to listen to the comments um, and, and to give everyone the opportunity to voice their opinions on issues, especially the more emotional and the, the issue is, I think the, the more important it is to give ourselves time to hear different perspectives. I, I was in no way convinced by any particular speaker um, that, that this ban is wrong. On the contrary, what this brought to my attention was perhaps the outreach, the our commission's outreach to the broader community was not effective enough and did not allow for a robust conversation. So I, I won't speak at all to the facts and, and who said what and, and, and what the facts of the training are. Simply that, if there is that much interest in an issue and we were unaware of it, well, now we are aware. And I believe that we should give those voices um, a chance to be heard. 
Okay, thank you, um, Commissioner Fortier. Um, do we have any other um, comments or questions? I see LT. Okay, LT, please. I just wanted to say that um, we would never get anywhere on this issue if people were not educating themselves. And I really look forward to the commissioners doing their own research because I'm confident that they will decide that we don't need to be putting dogs through this kind of pain in order to train them. And thank you so much to the commissioners for thinking long and hard about this. Thank you, LT. Um, so, for um, Commissioner Fortier, I need your assistance. What, how how would you suggest that we move forward with this? Um, you I know, on the agenda. We, oh, go on. I'm sorry. Please. I suggest that we take a vote and and to to ask uh, if any of the commissioners would like to take more time to process information um, before proceeding with this. And 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 to your point, we did have conversations. There was public public comment available. But apparently, um, maybe the message didn't get out quite enough. Um, so I suggest we take a vote if we proceed with the letter as written, or if we shelve it until January. Okay, so this will be a vote now. Of course, as I mentioned, we we've already voted to support it. It's just a matter of whether or not we want to issue the letter, or if we want to basically, if we want to, if we want to shelve it, or what we want to do concerning the letter itself. Correct. Yes. Okay, and I, I, okay. Yes, we're, this is procedurally, this is not what we had intended, but now we have different information. I personally, I feel an obligation to get more information from the voices of dissent that we heard from this evening. And, and, okay. and to your point, LT, this, this may not change anyone's opinions. Um, the, we may continue with this proposed ban, um, but, but I think it's worth pursuing. Okay. So. What I'm going to word then, and and please, uh, Commissioner Forte, again, I, I value your expertise. Tell me if this is if this is if this makes sense. What I'm asking, what I'm going to ask for is a vote on whether or not we want to put aside the letter for 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 a, for a future meeting, or whether or not commissioners feel they have enough um, information to to make a decision on the letter at this time. Um, that's what I'm going to ask for. Is are there any questions concerning it? No, I just say let's vote. Um, we'll just go around. Okay. Who says um, we continue with, or who says they prefer to wait with this uh, letter? Okay, so so we're not necessarily taking a, a yay or nay vote. We're basically just asking how people feel and what they would like to do. Correct. Well, it's a yay. We would like to pause this letter. Or nay, we would like to proceed with the issuance of said letter. Okay, great. Thank you for the clarification. I just wanted to make sure that, that yeah. I understood correctly and what, what was being asked and what uh, some commissioners um, may support. Okay, so this is what we're voting on, um, commissioners. We're going to vote um, yes to pass on the letter, to not move forward with it, or no to go ahead and issue the letter. Okay, are there any questions before we call the vote? Okay, seeing none, we'll start. Okay, Commissioner Fortier. I say we pause the letter and pending more information. Okay, yes to pause. 
Commissioner Irani? No, I say we move forward with the letter as voted on because we can stay here and ask for more information for many, many more meetings and issues like this have come up and they're all controversial. And at some point we've, you know, we take action and we've already taken action. Okay, great. Okay, Commissioner Ozernoy. I say yes, we pause on the letter. Okay, Commissioner Tobin. Commissioner Tobin, you're muted. Sorry about that. I'm having trouble with my computer. Um, I, I actually, sorry, I came in a little bit late, but I did hear um, part of these conversations. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm away and having trouble with connections here. Um, I agree with LT and that the more information, the more valuable and the more informed our, our choice choice will be. So I'm up for the option of giving it a little more time to fully explore what this means um, out of fairness to all of our callers who gave their time as well tonight too. Um, it doesn't mean that we might not proceed forward, but uh, we should look at the information that's there. So I'm gonna say, yes, put a pause. Okay. Commissioner Van Horn. Yeah, I think we should pause. Okay, I would vote no, we do not pause. We go forward with the letter, but we have a quorum that says, yes, we do pause. So we will pause on the letter. Um, we will go ahead and I guess we can continue this at the January meeting. Um, perhaps um, commissioners will can work with me as far as how we can best uh, proceed as far as you know how we can uh, get additional information, what kind of information we're looking for. Um, does anyone have any questions or comments? Oh, I think that's fine. I think, we can, fine. I think we can proceed to the next agenda item. Okay. Okay. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to pause temporarily on the letter and we will go ahead and revisit it um, in January. Okay. So um, I want to thank um, uh, Ren and Elsie and for coming to, to um, speak with us. And we can go ahead and talk about this um, prior to January meetings, but we'll, we'll definitely uh, talk about next steps. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much, everybody, for your comments and uh, for your patience as we work through the comments and also um, your patience as we discussed and went through the voting process. Okay. So um, moving on now to um, the next agenda item. The next agenda item is animal care and control admissions policy. Um, the commission will continue to discuss concerning Department of Animal Care and Control's admissions policy regarding healthy cats and kittens, the needs of San Francisco's homeless cats and cat pathway planning presenters from the September and October commission meetings will be invited to make statements and respond to questions from commissioners. Excuse me real fast. Okay, thank you. Okay. So anyways, um, I just want to say a little bit before we do start uh, this, this um, particular item. We are continuing our discussion around healthy cats and kittens and the Department of Animal Care and Control's admissions policy. With us tonight are Maria um, Conlin from Gimme a Shelter Cat Rescue and Alana Ja, an SF SPCA volunteer, who presented on their experiences rescuing excuse me, and advocating for cats in our city during our September meeting. 
Also joining us tonight is Department of Animal Care and Control Executive Director Virginia Donahue. Uh, as you remember, Dr. Sherry O'Neill, the Chief Veterinarian at Animal Care and Control, presented at our last meeting, and Executive Den Director Donahue offered to attend this discussion in her place. We are very appreciative of having them here tonight to help us better understand this topic. A few words about this agenda item and what it is. As I mentioned, we have seen some very informative and detailed presentations during the last two meetings, and it's a lot to take in, I, I admit it. I scheduled this part of the commission's ongoing discussion and invited our previous presenters to answer any questions that commissioners may have during this discussion. This agenda item is not meant to be a debate or a panel discussion. I simply asked our presenters to be here to help with their expertise by answering our questions. In addition to answering questions, our presenters will be able to make a statement at the beginning of this item. The statement may be concerning additional information that they wish to have shared that wasn't previously covered. It could be to revise or correct something they said, or even a response to what was said during a presentation that they did not agree with. I just ask, I just ask that for purposes of time, that these statements be concise, they be respectful and provided with the belief that information that it is information that the that the commission will find helpful. Also, just a reminder that although many topics were covered during the original presentation, this agenda item is about healthy cats and kittens and admissions policy. For me, um, a lot of other things came up as a result of the presentations that I would like to look into, such as the rescue partner program and how organization how organizers and organizations are able to participate in it as well as the CIP hold. But I know those areas, although important, are not what this agenda item is about tonight. This agenda item is about the admissions policy. I do have one more thing to add, and I hope that no one takes offense to it when it doesn't sound condescending, but I ask that everybody who participates, whether on screen or by public comment, to please be respectful. We can have a difference of opinions, and I know the differences can be very, very big at times, but we can also be respectful. I don't want anyone to ever feel uncomfortable or unwelcome at one of our meetings. Our ultimate goal is to do what's right for cats, and we all have a role that we can play in that, or we already play in that. I look forward to a productive conversation on what next steps, if any, that we can take to help us move forward to help animals. Uh, before we begin the discussion, there is something I was asked to share, um, and this is a bit of a disclaimer. As SF, SPCA's name has come up a number of times during the presentations at these last two meetings, and their name may come up again, I was asked to remind members of the commission and meeting attendees that none of our presenters represent SF, SPCA, and that the comments said during the presentations do not necessarily reflect those of SF, SPCA. I hope that's clear and understood. Although none of our presenters have implied that they represent SF, SPCA, we were asked to make this announcement in case there is or was any confusion, okay? So with that, we'll start with Executive Director Donahue. I know you provided a statement to the commission, which is available along with the agenda on our website. Would you like to share it or share anything else? And thank you again for attending tonight. Thank you, Michael. Um, I, I guess I will just read a portion of the letter and um, defer to any questions the commissioners have, since it, I think Sherry's presentation last month was was very thorough. So, um, um, all right. So first, I'd like to point out that Dr. O'Neill is our local expert on cat policies. Um, she's already presented you with an exhaustive amount of data and background on our programs. Dr. O'Neill is, of course, the shelter's chief veterinarian. 
She has a degree in veterinary medicine from Auburn University and her master's in public health from the University of Iowa. She was a fellow at the University of Wisconsin, University of California, Davis, Correct Shelter Medicine Program. She is the chairperson for the Committee on Disaster and Emergency Issues for the American Veterinary Medical Association and serves on the California Veterinary Medical Reserve Corps. There is no one better equipped to provide you with expert opinion on cats and sheltering. There seem to be two issues. Community issues who do not agree with our intake policies and community members who feel that the policy is not being administered consistently. We understand that some community members want the shelter to take in all stray cats. However, leaving healthy, safe outdoor cats in place is based on both science and national policies. There is no reason to think that San Francisco is any different from the communities that were studied. In fact, it has been at least 20 years since SPCA started its TNR program and ACC stopped taking in healthy outdoor cats. The only change we made in 2019 was raising the age of the kitten families who were brought into the shelter. The following organizations support this approach. University of California at Davis, Best Friends Animal Society, Maddie's Fund, Alley Cat Allies, American Pets Alive, National Animal Care and Control Association, Cal Animals, and the SFSPCA. Um, since the policy is oriented to providing the right service for each cat, and each situation is so nuanced, there probably are inconsistencies in how it's administered. So we will do a better job of making the program clearer and more consistent. We've pulled together an internal working group who will be reworking our training materials and developing scenarios to improve our internal processes. We will then retrain our team with the goal of providing the public with clearer service. Some commenters and presenters have anecdotes, both direct and third party, about cats not being admitted to the shelter. We, of course, have our own experiences of cats who have been admitted to the shelter and should not have been because they were kidnapped from their own neighborhood, they were out of county, a variety of reasons. To get more concrete data, we've just started tracking data on individuals who contact us about cats they see in the community and who we did not admit to the shelter. Our plan is in the next few months that we'll be able to provide the commission with additional information about how often this is or is not happening. Um, I think that's all I have to add. Do you want me to answer questions now or do you want to, to wait? Thank you, Executive Director Donahue. Um, what we'll do now is we'll hear from, um, from our other two presenters. Who's, who are going to be allowed to make a statement as well. And then afterwards, we will open it up to questions from um, the commission. Okay, so uh, first off, why don't we have uh, Elena Jaw? Well, are you I, ready to, to, to? I'm actually going to do for, I'm going to present. And so for, I know you wanted to limit okay, the perfect. time. And then Elena is just here if, you know, there's questions around trapping or that kind of thing that I might not be able to answer. So 
Is that is that okay? Perfect. Sorry, we should have told yeah, well, you that, well, that's that last more than time. okay. So thank you very much, Maria. When you're ready to start, we're, we're trying to be efficient time. So I actually um, wrote something up. So it's not ideal on the way to to speak, but um, in order to be efficient, we wanted to do that. So um, anyway, so thank you for meeting and and thank you. I want to say thank you to we met with several of the commissioners prior to the meeting. Thank you for taking the time to meet with us and and helping us through this process. We're very grateful. So, um, first of all, I just wanted to say that um, the presentation from ACC left us with some unanswered questions and some questions that I do recall that uh, a couple of commissioners may have asked last time. One was, what is the number of spay neuter surgeries that ACC can do in a week? Um, I don't believe that question was answered. Um, ACC said during the presentation that they had 16 fosters, yet they have about 70 fosters available. Why are those fosters not being utilized? In their presentation, ACC talked a lot about the length of stay at the shelter and why it is important to keep that low, yet they are not utilizing the foster homes available. We're wondering why that is. Um, we're also wondering where the budget is being allocated. Is there a way that we can see a breakdown of the budget that's not publicly available? Uh, and then the presentation included a slide uh, with slide 27 stating indiscriminate impounds of cats and kittens and allowing feral, feral queens to stay in foster homes resulted in increased illness, fading kittens, low welfare for the queens, and an increased length of stay. Can ACC provide any data to support these claims? ACC's intake and live release statistics and reports from volunteers and fosters contradict these claims. So those were some of the questions regarding the presentation um, that we had. And then as far as uh, staffing issues come, came up a lot, they seem to be a continual problem. ACC, uh, from my knowledge, ACC used to have one vet on staff when I first, first started volunteering there. They took in more animals at that time. Now they have two vets, vets on staff and they're taking in fewer animals. However, the claims are that the number of animals slash cats they're taking in is unmanageable. How could one vet manage it now and two cannot? Um, and then another thing, and in speaking with some of the commissioners, we got um, some recommendations of comparing other municipal shelters in the area. So we wanted to bring back up Oakland, which we included in our presentation. In 2020 to 2021, Oakland Animal Services had a budget of 5.4 million with an intake of 4,000, 741 cats and dogs with a live release rate of 92%. Meanwhile, SFACC had a budget of 9.5 million and took in only 3,561 cats and dogs. Oakland is still taking in healthy homeless cats and working with the community to foster cats. Oakland actually posts their found animals. And so we just wanna know why ACC can't take in healthy cats and kittens. Um, and then there were some issues with um, transparency. We found out, we only found out about this policy because people started getting rejected when they started bringing in cats. Why wasn't the policy publicly shared? Why hasn't there been any outreach to the community about that? Also curious why after the, right after the last meeting, when SFACC presented the policy of not taking in healthy cats, SFACC posted on their social media page, uh, Facebook in particular, a cat that they that was rescued by an animal control officer in a car engine. Instead of leaving the cat 
outside as they did with the orange kitten that they rescued in the drain pipe that we included in our presentation. They brought this cat, which they named Dispatch, to the shelter and posted how friendly he was. Why did this cat get rescued when others did not? This seems like a contradiction against SFACC's policy. Why did ACC, why did they post that res they rescue cats when their policy says that they do not rescue cats? So it's a little contradiction. We're saying that you're not rescuing cats. They're saying that they're not rescuing cats and yet they're posting that they are rescuing cats. So it's a little confusing. Also, we just wanted to point out that SFACC and SPCA has a unique relationship that really benefits SFACC. And I know this because Gimme Shelter takes a lot of um, cats from outlying shelters and they don't have an SPCA to take all the animals that they don't deem adoptable. So it allows SFACC to have a high live release rate because of the number of animals that it rescues that SPCA takes from ACC. And they also do the spay and neuter for the dogs and cats and SPCA runs the community feral cat program. I think this is all common knowledge. So it's not I'm not saying anything about SPCA that I'm not a representative of SPCA, like you said. So, um, and I also understand that the SPCA community cat program makes eight spay and neuter appointments daily, four days a week, taking in a total of 32 cats weekly. So that's surely, um, anyways, just wanted to point that information out. Um, and then our purpose in, Mentioning the mission statement was to get SFACC to follow it. Why would why would you change the mission statement? Who will write the mission statement? And if you do change it, does the public get any input? Um, also want to point out that the San Francisco City Charter says that San Francisco Health Code Section 41.6 states that any person may take up and deliver to, an, to the animal control officer, i.e. executive director or her representative, any animal at large in the city and county on public property or upon said person's private property or any animal owned by such person. So SFACC's current mission statement is in line with the city code, but the policies regarding cat intake are not. Just a little bit more, I promise. Try and be quick. Um, and then we just wanted to uh, go to talk about some of the studies. So the studies that support this policy are for rural overcrowded shelters where they live where the live release rates are as low as 4%. These studies do not apply to ACC, which has a new shelter and a high live release rate for many years. There was no TNR done before these studies. Maddie Spun has subsidized these studies and Dr. Kate Hurley co-authored almost, almost all of them. Dr. Hurley, um, which we mentioned in the feral mom and kitten presentation, was formerly an ACO officer in Santa Cruz back in 1989. She is on record stating, you can find these videos online, that she used to bring cats in from the field. If they were not immediately friendly or they hissed, she would kill them, euthanize them. They learned through this that the cat populations kept filling in and that TNR was the only solution that worked. So how many cats, so now they've come up with this new policy of leaving these healthy, friendly cats outside, and many of them which end up not being fixed and not even TNR'd, how many cats around the nation will have to die for her to discover that this new policy is in fact not a humane solution? These also just want to note that these studies were not run by shelters but by nonprofit organizations. Um, virtually all TNR slash community cat management studies done inside include language that remove that the removal and adoption of kittens young enough to be socialized and friendly stray cats 
is a key component to success. If the capacity to do so exists in that community, meaning adopting them versus euthanizing them. Many of the best practice documents cited by ACC include language that is friendly, stray, lost, or abandoned cats should be admitted to shelters if evidence exists that they are lost or abandoned. Members of the public or rescue community just see a cat and pick it up and bring it to ACC. In most cases, we make efforts to to by neighbors or to locate to locate a guardian and um, and the cat is observed for an extended period of time before a decision is made to bring the cat to the shelter. Example, examples of this you can find on social media all the time. So the studies related to the likelihood of cats finding their way home were severely limited in scope and reliability. They were conducted via telephone and online surveys with very low sample sizes. If you read these studies in detail, even the authors admit the limitations. One study heavily relied upon by ACC stated that the generalizability of the findings may be limited and the exact proportion of the cats found in a shelter or animal co control facility was not able to be ascertained because of an oversight in the questionnaire of design. Community cats are that are feral or owned. Um, so this is this is community. This was some this was a point that kept coming up was what a community cat is. So community cats that are feral or owned indoor outdoor coats do have the instincts to survive outside. However, previously housed cats that are lost, abandoned, or stray cats do not have survival instincts and will likely be killed by cars, predators, or starved to death. Leaving unfixed out cats outside, which we are already seeing, will result in a population explosion. This is beginning to happen due to no services during lockdown and limited services currently. And all the people that are doing the trapping, boots on the ground, are seeing this explosion happening throughout the city. Um, and then in response, just want to say, because we were able to review um, direct, Executive Director Donahue's statement in advance. So we want to just make a couple of responses to um, her letter. So first of all, regarding the kittens, decreasing the window when you bring in the kittens by limiting the age range in the shelter results in a population explosion and more homeless cats. We have been over this several time, in, times in our presentations why it's important to get the kittens in when they're younger if possible. I'm happy to answer more questions about that, but don't feel we won't need to go on about it again. Um, Donahue stated that SPCA started TNR 20 years ago and SFACC stopped taking in healthy cats at that time. That simply is not a true statement. In 1993, SPCA officially established its TNR program. Around 2019, SFACC started limiting, limiting community members from bringing in healthy cats under Donahue's leadership. I'd have an email that we shared in our presentation from shelter staff saying that they were revisiting their cat policy. So it, it's an actual email saying that they were rethinking the cat policy to a member of the cat community. Donahue mentions kidnapped cats in her statement. How many kidnapped quote unquote cats were brought into the shelter? Is there data to support that? Is there enough of an argument for the number of kidnapped cats quote unquote, to leave all the healthy cats outside? What about engaging with the community to help people find their lost cats? And then while Dr. O'Neill is highly qualified in the fields of veterinary medicine, shelter medicine, and disaster relief, what experience does she have 
or any other employee of ACC in the field with outdoor cat populations, particularly in San Francisco and in the southeast section of San Francisco, where the outdoor cat population is the highest. We believe the volunteers of the SF cat community that have been out in the field helping cats and city re residents for decades, doing both TNR and rescue of kittens and friendly adults are true experts on the outdoor cat population of San Francisco and what policies fit best in our community. Yet these volunteers are repeatedly dismissed and retaliated against by ACC. We find Virginia's Donahue's executive, Don, executive director Donahue's state comment in her letter that some of the community members want the shelter to take in stray cats condescending. Why does ACC continue to implement policies without any feedback from the rescue community, volunteers, and the public it serves? In fact, I just want to go a little bit more about retaliation um, and just let you know that SFACC has not offered any cats to give me shelter since I started speaking up about this policy. When I spoke about the feral mom and kittens policy, they did not offer cats to us for nearly a year. Volunteers speaking up about these policies have yet to be invited back to the new shelter post lockdown. And then I just wanted to also revisit, um, you know, the, the commission wrote a letter regarding the feral mom and kitten policy back in 2019 uh, about reversing that policy. So we want to encourage you to support us again. There were a couple of things I just wanted to identify in that letter um, that there was there are data there were data deficiencies to justify a policy change at that time. There were communication and trust issues and you recommended organizational development processes for policy change, yet we still see these same conditions. They're still happening with this issue now. We know what is right and we know what is wrong, and we it is wrong to leave these healthy, friendly cats and kittens on the streets. We do not understand why ACC would follow such a regressive policy, and we ask the commission to stand with us for these cats and kittens to give them a chance at a better life to live safely inside. Thank you. Thanks for your time. Thank you very much, Maria. And thank you as well, um, Executive Director Donahue, for your statements. Um, so I'm opening this up to the commissioners to ask any questions um, concerning um, this, uh, concerning the admissions policy as it relates to healthy cats and kittens. Um, as we all know, this is something that has come up repeatedly via open comments, uh, open, I'm sorry, public comments via social media postings, um, even inquiries from some of our supervisors' offices. Uh, just concerning um, this issue, so you know, I'm 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 hoping that after the presentations and all the information that we've been received that we've received so far, that we can have a a, a discussion about it and possible next steps, what we can do to help. Um, any any ideas that the commissioners may have concerning this? Any thoughts about it? Um, again, I, I welcome um, this to be a, a productive dialogue. And um, I'm looking, you know, again, we have um, people here who can answer our questions. So please, um, are there any comments or questions from any of our commissioners? Um, Commissioner Fortier, I see your hand up. Is that a, a new hand or an old? It's my real hand. I, I can't find the stupid hand on the thing again. Um, just okay. two comments I'd like to make. First of all, Maria, uh, your first question was how many, um, that the question was asked, how many surgeries can be done in a day? And you state that that question was not answered. I'm the one who asked that question. And um, Dr. O'Neill did answer the question. Um, she said she couldn't give a specific number, that it depended on, on 
number of variables, um, not all of which I can remember, um, but I thought that her response was honest and it satisfied my question. Um, and then secondly, to the point of the cat that was brought in that was in the, um, you point out that there was a cat that was brought in and it was posted to social media and that case was very different from a different cat. Um, could have been a similar situation, but the result was was different, the outcome. And and I, I want to say, and I want everyone to remember that when um, Dr. O'Neill spoke at our last meeting, she talked about um, that, you know, there that things happen in the field and she's not privy to everything that happens and sometimes mistakes are made, but um, I, I'm not sure that it's fair to pick one particular instance um, and to claim that that is in violation of the policy. Um, I thought that I thought that Dr. Neal addressed some of these issues of inconsistencies. Part of it has to do with training, um, but ultimately that 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 not that that yeah, uh, she can't control every instance. So I just wanted to um, to to say that I think that those two statements that you made were were not entirely. Um, I thought they're a bit disingenuous. Can I respond to that? Okay. I mean, yes, I, I'm, I'm okay. With you. Okay, because I just didn't think that we we were looking for a number, so I didn't feel that the question was answered. So I don't think that that was disingenuous to ask that that question wasn't answered. It was my question. I asked the question, and I was satisfied with the answer. Okay, fair enough. And then as far as the social media post, um, I mean, just on the 28th, I called in. You know, I went to pick up a cat downtown that was running on the street in traffic that ACC didn't go pick up. So, and Alina had had a similar experience where ACC was called and she helped the cat. So, uh, and then we see, we're talking about, we're listening to ACC present about the um, policy and then yet they're posting that they're rescuing cats. So people are thinking maybe that they're rescuing cats. So I thought it was misleading. So not meant to be disingenuous. Thank you. Thank you, um, Maria, and thank you, um, Commissioner Fortier. Uh, do we have any other questions from commissioners? I know that during um, Dr. O'Neill's uh, presentation that there were a couple of uh, commissioners who did say, you know, who did mention about at some point having um, Executive Director Donahue to answer questions, you know, maybe not questions, maybe questions that, as um, I believe, was mentioned sometime by Dr. O'Neill that were, you know, out of her range of, of being able to answer. Um, offhand, I can't remember exactly what those questions were, but if any of the commissioners, you know, again, we have we have the executive director of ACC here. Um, we can ask questions. Um, so if anyone does have any questions of her, she's, you know, she's she's here tonight and she's waited very patiently for her for this agenda item to happen. Um, so please, as as we do, obviously we all as we all as we also have Maria and and, and Lena here. So please, if there are any questions, you know these are these are the the people that can answer those questions. So please, I definitely, um, definitely, um, you know, um, I definitely would like to hear some questions uh, if anyone has any. So, uh, Commissioner Tobin, I see your hand up. Thank you. Sure. Thanks so much, and uh, Director Donahue, want to thank you so much for coming tonight. I know it's. Um, it's a lot to come here tonight uh, in light of all the heaviness of this topic that's been extended and going on for a while. And I want to, I want to 
you know, reassure you that I feel uh, I'm sure commissioners would say the same thing that um, Dr. O'Neill's experience is, is incredibly valuable and gives us a perspective of what's going on with this and why a policy might be enacted. But um, I also want to acknowledge the fact that the folks who've been working in the rescue committee or uh, world have also had a kind of experience that may not be as uh, academic, but it is absolutely an equivalent in the field and in terms of understanding what's going on in the community. So I, I also wanted to acknowledge and thank Elena and Maria for sharing with us their experiences as, as cat rescuers. And I will go back to a comment I made in 2019, which was that I felt like we're a forum, uh, we're not mediators, um, but I did feel after our meeting that there was a breakdown in trust between the organizations and a lack of communication between the rescue partners and the policy makers, shapers over at ACC. And, you know, if I were to raise my one mediator hand, I would say, I would like you to continue this conversation offline to work together in partnership, recognizing the skills each of you bring to um, situations, there are some really creative solutions that could be out there that you're, you're enacting and you're acknowledging too, there's some communication issues with callers who are misinformed or uh, the front desk that has an inconsistency in communication. I think all those things can be worked out in a serviceable way between the rescue partner and ACC. And it, to be part of that communication chain to the public, about what to do um, or to add a more robust perspective of and kind of a little more, I wouldn't say informed. Yes, I will say informed sort of idea of where to go with this particular call. Where, where should, what's the most appropriate response to it? It's not always going to be what, it, what you think it should be in, but it should be worked out together what the best response should be given these situations. And one last comment I would make, um, I see a lot of postings, of course we all do on Nextdoor, and uh, it's about an invaluable and untapped resource when it comes to almost nothing except for lost cats. And I, I almost wanna see a, a kind of an incorporation of a shout out from neighbors about, you know, they're, watch, they're, the, they're watching what's going on in their backyards, they're seeing more, and including um, a way to communicate online or in that method or in, in that form would, might be really helpful. But that's just my two cents on that, and uh, I leave it to the professional, social media professionals to go from there. So thank you. Um, thank so, you, uh, Mr. Tobin. Yes, yes, I'm sorry, Executive Director Donahue. So we do post on our website um, lost cats. Uh, so so that is there. Um, we do have an extra uh, account, but um, we use it, and we're advised to use it for more uh, broader general things. You know, like fireworks and you know broader announcements, uh, and to keep the the adoptable and the lost animals on on our website and the. The lost animals are updated, I think, every 10 minutes. Uh, so once you're once the lost animals entered into the system, 
it, it goes on our website pretty quickly. Um, but it, it is our reunification rate for cats, I think, is about 6%, which is better than the national averages, which hovers around two or three. But uh, clearly, there's a problem with people lose track of their cat with them finding it again. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Do any other commissioners have any questions or, or comments? Okay, uh, why don't we go with Commissioner Irani, please? Thank you, Commissioner Torres. Um, thank you, Director Donahue, and also Alina Marina Maria for being here again um, to discuss this issue. We all appreciate it. Um, kind of going off of what you just mentioned about finding lost cats and kind of focusing in on owned cats who are lost and have owners. Um, and I know that we've invited a speaker to speak next year who's very active on next door and very active in the community, helping people find their lost cats. Um, I was hoping you could help us understand what ACC does to help owners find lost cats other than posting on the website. Um, because I've actually come to this issue pretty recently, um, trying to help a find a lost cat in our neighborhood. and. You know, was really surprised to learn how much it takes to find a lost cat and, you know, how much legwork and going door to door and use of resources and not even knowing all the steps, even though I'm a cat owner. And so I was just curious to know, you know, what ACC does to help um, residents find their lost cats and also what, you know, they're willing to do maybe to provide more support in that area specifically. So we, we do have a portion of our webpage which tells people what to do if you've lost your cat. Uh, research has shown that in most cases, a lost cat is within several blocks of its own house. So um, if when shelters, it used to be well-meaning shelters picked up all these stray cats and, and brought them into the shelter. And by the time, if you've got an indoor outdoor cat, by the time the person realizes their cat is missing, the cat has moved out of the shelter. You know, it's 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 gone somewhere. It's uh, historically that that's what happens. So to bring in the cat actually reduces the likelihood that somebody in the neighborhood that you'll find your own cat in your own neighborhood happens on the regular, like we just had a cat brought in by a trapper who we were assured was truly a lost cat. Cat was here for eight days. The owner finally looked for it here and it was only still here because the cat became ill. Cat was super stressed, vomiting, diarrhea. Eight days later, this person shows up and ah, it's their cat. So in a way it's happy, but the cat would have been way better off staying in the neighborhood where it was, and it would have gotten home a whole lot faster. But most indoor-outdoor cats are very close to their own homes. So bringing them into the shelter just makes it harder for their owners to find them. Okay, thank you for that. Um, I guess my follow-up question to that is, you know, if, if it is better to leave, you know, own lost cats in the field, then, how can ACC better support reuniting owners and cats in the field? Because, you know, from what I've learned, it takes, you know, setting up camera traps and, 
you know, going out every single night, every single morning, um, posting flyers, it just takes a lot of resources. And so I'm wondering, you know, what can ACC do to better support reunification out in the field? Well, you're absolutely right. It does take a lot of resources. Um, I think one thing that would be very helpful is for more cats to be microchipped. Clearly, anybody that's adopted from the shelter is chipped. Um, and pre-pandemic, uh, Friends of ACC had quarterly microchip and rabies clinics, um, which we had hoped to resume, but right now we're having trouble finding uh, veterinarians who are able to volunteer uh, for those clinics. You know, there's a big veterinary shortage right now. Um, you know, and we can go back and look at our website and see if we can make more information available that, you know, people can pull up right away to look for their, their lost pet. Thank you. Um, and I guess one more question on that topic. Um, in addition to helping increase microchipping, because it does seem like from what I've read and you know, also talking to Oakland Animal Services, like the problem with, um, you know, there are reasons why um, lost cats have such a low reunification rate. And one of them is low microchipping. The other is that a lot of underserved communities don't know to reach out to the shelter, um, or maybe even just the majority of people in general don't know to reach out to the shelter. And so, you know, for me as a cat owner, I certainly would know, obviously, so my cat would be part of that, you know, percentage that is, you know, reunified. I would be at the shelter day one, but what can ACC do to um, increase outreach to those communities and, you know, get the word out um, about, you know, what's offered at ACC? Um, because it seems like that's one of the big problems where, you know, you mentioned that people don't know to come to the shelter and by the time they do, the cat has already left the shelter. So how can that problem be solved? That's a good question. I'll have to think about it. Um, there is a, um, a program that just got lost, launched in, uh, I think it's El Paso, uh, where they put um, a microchip scanning station. I think it was it was funded by uh, PetSmart or Petco, somebody, and they put a microchip scanning station in a dog park mm. where, you know, a lot of dogs were getting lost and brought to the shelter. And they're like, okay, if we have the station here, the dog doesn't even have to come to the shelter. Somebody can scan the dog and, ah, you know, it, it belongs to Joe Blow down the street. I can just take the dog there. So we could look into something like that. Um, you know, to see if, if that might be something that would would work for San Francisco. Okay, thank you. Um, well, maybe. Uh, you, oh, yeah. Please oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, um, I just wanted to also uh, reiterate that uh, any vet will scan a microchip for free. Um, any vet, uh, you just go, you don't even have to make an appointment. Even during COVID, they would scan for free. Unfortunately, you know, in my experience with a lost cat, I was not informed of this. Um, I had to find out through the cat community uh, that thankfully I'm, I'm plugged into, so. Thank you, um, Commissioner uh, Fortier for your thoughtful questions and thank you, um, 
Executive Director um, Donahue and also Elena, thank you very much for your responses. Um, I believe um, Commissioner, uh, I'm sorry, that was Commissioner I Irani, I apologize um, for your thoughtful um, questions. Um, Commissioner Forte, I believe I saw your hand up earlier. Did you have a question or anything? No. Okay. Okay, I'm um, sorry, was it com um, Commissioner, um, let's see, was it Fortier? Did you have your hand up? I'm sorry, not Fortier, o Orzenoy? Commissioner Orzenoy, I, did you? Okay, I, I apologize can... for that, Commissioner. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Sorry, it has been a long night. <laughs> um, so first of all, thank you, uh, Executive Director Donahue, and thank you, Maria and Alina, for coming um, and uh, and having this conversation with us uh, and, and keeping the channels of communication open. Um, I guess my question, uh, Director Donahue, is that I have um, been to the ACC website and under uh, the lost and found pets section on how, to, you know, found a cat outside, how to help, there's a very comprehensive checklist um, of what to do, you know, determine whether a cat is sick or injured. If yes, contact ACC dispatch. Determine if it's lost and abandoned. Um, if it's in danger, such as a busy intersection and urgent action is necessary, you know, confine the cat and or call dispatch, ACC dispatch for assistance. Um, and I mean, there's also other descriptions of what to do, like ab about, you know, pet finder next door, pop boost and so on. But um, just sort of going back to this, uh, this checklist, like it says on the checklist to call um, dispatch. And it seems like that's what people, you know, I'm on next door as well. And I, and there's a lot of conversations like, oh, you found a cat. Oh, we just take it to, you know, ACC. So how does that connect or, you know, very much not connect with, with the policy, um, that you, that you have described. So if, if the cat or kittens are in, are in danger, yes, you, you bring them in and we have a little description of what danger could be, you know, generally. Um, and in fact, we took in last year, we took in 1600 stray cats. So it's not that no cat is getting into the shelter. 1600 stray cats came in. So by all means, in danger, uh, bring it in. But the cat that's wandering your neighborhood that lives down the street, don't bring that cat in because that, that cat has a home, that, that that cat has a home or that cat is living outside just fine by itself. Um, but I mean, I guess, you know, I personally in the last 10 years have brought a stray cat to ACC um, where it was scanned, it did not have a chip. Um, it was a friendly unspayed cat and stayed at ACC um, in, the, in the adoption track. Like, how would a person necessarily know whether a cat was, you know, you know I, I mean, I think, yeah, like that, that level of knowledge from some random person, I feel like is not, I guess what I'm trying to say is like the average person is not going to know if they see a stray cat, oh, that's, a, you know, that's a, that's someone's cat or it's, it's a lost cat, you know? So I guess the point that I'm trying to make is like, how can we educate? How can we help people? How can we figure out how to to connect the dots? You know? Yeah. 
Well, I, I and I, I think we're trying to make that clearer for people because you're right. There's a lot of gray here. Yeah. There, there are cats who are lost or abandoned, right? There are cats who are community cats who you can't pick up, you can't touch. You know, like okay, well, that's probably not somebody's cat. Let's right. let's not mess with that one. Um, people are welcome to bring in their cat, that, the cat they find, and and we scan it for a chip. Um, and that's where it gets a little tricky. So if the cat is friendly and we can adopt it out and it doesn't have a home already, that's great. But a lot of times these cats do have homes. And then we end up, we've just taken somebody's cat, darn it, which is what we don't want to do. We, you know, we have enough issues finding homes for cats without finding homes for cats that don't need new homes. Um, and you're right, that is a big gray area, how the average person can distinguish. Yeah. I guess one of the ways is if you, you know, you see the cat on and off, like I know I see them in my neighborhood all the time. And, you know, I check and I say, uh, you know, have I seen you five times? And then do I see you climbing over the neighbor's fence? Oh yeah, you live over there. Um, and it would certainly help if people didn't let their cats out, right? I agree. You know, but they, but they, but they do, uh, and it's not illegal. And in, you know, but you're right. This is a great, this is a great area. Yeah, I mean, I guess you know, if the cat seems well fed and has, you know, a clean looking coat, you could probably assume. Well, I mean, I guess someone could just reasonably think, okay, that cat looks pretty healthy. It's probably being taken care of and if it's scruffy if it's if it's you know very skinny that that's probably more likely that it's not that it's been you know abandoned or or lost or that it's sick for example you know we'll get in cats with injuries and we'll take them in and we'll care for them and they do have homes but they were wandering outside and they got hurt right yeah. so that's perfectly reasonable cat to bring into the shelter and and we we figure it out or we hope we can figure it out right so i just wondered because i think on the on the on the web page um about you know, maybe there's maybe like a, a a it could be like a flow chart you know is cat like you know like people there's a lot of text and maybe like is cat sick you know arrow right like maybe that yeah. that could be one way to to make it a little more digestible to somebody who might not necessarily understand what what they're seeing yeah i think that's a good point and our web page um as jane knows because i think she was the person who designed it many years ago our web page is really old and and needs an update and in fact we're going back to our friends group to ask for funding to to revamp it because you're right it is very text heavy um and so we we have a bid to take out some of the words, add more graphics, make it make it more usable, because it's you know it's not a very modern web page, but uh, it is something that our friends group has to do because we've talked to the city uh, web page people, and uh, our web page is way more advanced than anything that they currently have available. 
so that's something we have to go to our friends group for, and they're inclined to be very supportive. I'm not expecting them to object to this, but, you know, we're going to them next week and, you know, we're hoping in January we can launch um, a, a freshening, an update, so to speak. Or maybe even an FAQ on like, here's what to do, how here's, here's like a little, like what to do to try to find your lost cat, um, I think would be a great resource, kind of like a, and a really. Yeah, we, ha we, we have something like that, but it is, you're correct. It is super text heavy. Yeah. And um, yeah, not easily digestible. But yeah, that's a good point. Thank you, Commissioner Porti. I'm sorry, Commissioner Rosenweig. Um, We're I all starting to, to blur together at this point. Oh, I, I'm sorry. About thank that. you, I thank you, Executive Director. A little bit more attentive for... about things, uh, but thank you for your understanding and patience. Um, kind of trailing or trying to continue on with your question about the website. I did have a question for um, for you. Um, um, Director Donahue, um, you know, currently our website, you know, and I, and I helped with it. I work with digital service to migrate from an sfgov.org website to an sf.gov website. Um, now, you know, we're a little limited as far as what we can do right now, because we're an advisory body versus the templates that are for departments. And obviously the data we have on ours, we don't have forms or any of the other stuff that you have uh, on your current website. But I'm kind of curious as far as um, just how that falls on on your on on the friends of ACC group as far as that being done and and is there gonna is it gonna be migrated to the new website is it something completely to the new platform or is it something completely different or I guess what I don't understand is um, is does digital service do any kind of updates are they able to do any kind of updates for your website and the reason I also bring that up too is because when I go into our website. You know, as, as someone who's 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 um, updating our website, we basically have access to to everyone's website. You know, to see what everyone's doing, and you know, we see what they can edit. We can basically, you know, we would never do that, but we can basically go into how pages are set up and everything. And it's good for us because we kind of know how to do things. You know, we can kind of see what they've done on the editing standpoint, and we just kind of, you know, um, mirror that. Um, and I do see where where. Um, where um, people in digital services do do updates, updates periodically to your website. So I'm just kind of curious how, how digital services helps to what extent, and, and I guess I'm just kind of curious just about your website. Is there any additional information you can give me about it or mention it? Sure. The, for, yeah, sure. For the full blow by blow, you have to talk to Deb Campbell because she manages it. Okay. So if I see something and she later says it's wrong, I'm wrong and she's right. Just putting it out there. But um, as far as I know, digital services doesn't touch our website at all because the, the platform, because one, we use a lot of forms and the platform that they use doesn't support forms. Uh, so that would be a huge problem for us. And two, our web page acts like more almost like a web commerce page because uh, we we have the shelter has a database called Chameleon. Chameleon is basically the software that runs the shelter. It's where we put in all the animals, we put in um, it, med treatments, and it also has a, a portion that is dispatch for the animal control officers. So it's the 
uh, it's one of the few software out softwares out there that can both manage the care portion of the shelter and has the officer dispatch function as well. So as part of the interface between Chameleon and our website, there's another little piece of software whose name I'm forgetting right now, but it means that when animal, when, you know, when Fluffy comes in, we don't know who Fluffy is, but we have a picture, we have an approximate age, we have a location, we put that in Chameleon, and then by magic, like 10 minutes later, the website updates, and, and Fluffy is now in the website, and is posted, so anybody can see. In the old days, we had to every day manually cut and paste anybody who came in, and then we had to take out anybody who left. So as you can tell, that's super, super labor intensive. And particularly on the adoption front, it was really frustrating for people who would look at our webpage and see that, you know, Samantha was available and they got in to the shelter only to find out the shelter that Samantha had been adopted out the day before. Super inefficient. So uh, we have a couple of different vendors who are all paid for by friends of ACC who keep this, this cycle going. Um, the city digital services, you know, can't support the forums and can't support the automatic movement of animals from Chameleon into the website. So those are just two deal breakers right there for us. For us to go with the city services would be for us to go back. Okay, got it. Yeah, that makes sense because obviously there's a lot of other specific uh, software that's involved that, you know, the digital services, they, they may support to an extent, but they don't have the expertise to to manage it or to do anything with it. Or to, or to so, fund so, it. You know, they're looking at a lot of different departments' websites, and most departments don't need to refresh their website the way we do, right? You build it, it's got the information in, you know, it's set and it's done, whereas ours is changing many times a day. And it, yeah. Okay, I appreciate the explanation, especially as I said, just because it, it went with, along with what Commissioner Ozenoy was saying, asking about updates and stuff, and I was just kind of curious how that worked. So thank you. Um, okay, um, Commissioner Tobin, do you have a question? Yeah, actually, it's a couple of things. Um, so, Virginia, you had mentioned earlier that um, you're having troubles with getting vets who can staff the free microchip clinics there. And yeah, I understand, I understand that there has been that, but I've been actually watching a little bit. I'm not sure if anybody else is, is seeing this sort of change that's happening in the city now, but I see more vet um, facilities opening up. Brian, maybe you can speak to that as well too. There've been a couple that have popped up. Um, and I also know that the agreement for the rabies slash uh, uh, certificate was, hinging as part of a Department of Public Health accordance that we had to offer or ACC had to offer four clinics per year um, for to for rabies low cost rabies vaccination clinics. And um, so I you know I don't know how that's changed as obviously if it's dictated by a lack of staff or vac veterinarians in the area who can service that but that was also an agreement that was made with the um 
SFVMA, right? The met the veterinary medical association that they would staff those free microchip clinics. And yes. so, so we, how has that we, changed? We've gone back, we've gone to the SFVMA and they've informed us they cannot get any volunteers to staff it. So can I ask if there are new public or private clinics that are coming up that are willing to work, these clinics, could they be used in the interim for low cost uh, veterinary services, donating their time? Um, yes, but that's usually how the process works is we go to the SFVMA and we say, hey, we need volunteers to do this clinic. And of course we didn't do any clinics during the pandemic. And they come back and they say, Yes, and you know, there's a stipend for the vet tech and you know, all that. Right. SFVMA came back and said, no, none of our members are willing to do this. So we're kind of going back to the drawing board, like, okay, if your members won't do it, how are, how is this gonna happen, A? Right. And B, state law doesn't say four times a year. I think it says once. So frankly, we're scrambling internally to say, whoa, you know, how do we, how do we get this done? Right. We also have to be, because of the behested payments legislation, we're putting out a contract, hopefully soon, for um, emergency vet care, you know, which ended over a year ago, which is horrible, right? And we're putting out a contract for dental care, so part of behested payments means that we have to be very careful that we we don't um, we don't inadvertently by asking someone to do something cross ethical boundaries with contractors or potential contractors. Mm. So it's it's the landscape has just gotten more complicated. That's all. Okay. Thank you. But it's not something we're we're. It's not something we don't want to do. It's something we're like, well, we got to figure out how to do this a new way because the old way isn't working. Right. Right. Thank you. Um, Commissioner Irani, do you have a question? I do have a question. Um, my question relates back to Commissioner Ozunori's question, and I hope I'm not asking the same question, but I think it is a little bit different. Um, we were talking about how it is difficult for just a regular person to identify, you know, the difference between an owned cat and an abandoned cat that is out. Um, and I'm wondering if you can help us understand, you know, what guidelines do you give to your officers and to your staff to tell the difference between an owned cat that is outside and a cat that is abandoned or, you know, no longer has an owner or never had an owner. Um, because I think a lot of the stories that we heard from Marina Alina were stories about cats who didn't have owners or once had owners were abandoned and, you know, they were falling through the cracks. And so I'm, I'm wondering if um, anything has changed as far as the guidelines to, to tighten those up and make sure that those cats are, you know, in the safety net of our shelter. Um, so, as um, I think I tried to con convey in my opening comments, um, we acknowledge that because this is so case specific, there probably is, in, there probably are inconsistencies 
in in you know we have we have guidelines, but there are probably inconsistencies in how those are being administered. So we've got an internal working group that's now saying, okay, what do we need to do to make this more consistent, to make this more clear? Um, so that it's more obvious both for people who work here and for people who, who don't work here what the what the rules are. Um, also acknowledging that there are people who arrive at our door every day who know what the rules are or have learned what the rules are and give us the answer that they feel will get them what they want. Um, for an example, there was a guy who came in the other day. He's got two carriers. He's got cat and kittens in each carrier. And his story is that he and his family were picnicking in Golden Gate Park and they saw these cats just out there with, you know, these cat families with, and, and they were, um, he felt in jeopardy. So his story is he went home, he got carriers, he put the cats in the carriers and he brought them to us. And of course, the whole thing makes no sense because there's no way this mom and her kittens are going to be staying in one spot in Golden Gate Park overnight, you know, while he's out picnicking um, or, you know, 24 hours after the picnic. Well, and then, you know, somebody asked him for his ID and it turns out he's from Hercules. And the front desk is like, okay, there is nothing true about any of this. However, what the heck is this guy going to do with this mom and the kittens? You know, and they're like, okay, we're afraid of what he's going to do or where he's going to leave them. So we'll just take the cats. Right? So we took in those, that, that mom, cat, and kittens. So regardless of, of what guidelines we put in, there's, there, there are, there's a substantial portion of the population that's going to work their way around those. And part of, Part of the difficulty of, of, I think, being consistent and figuring out intake is you always want to do what's the best thing for the cat, mm -hmm. right? And it's trying to make that judgment call. And in this case, we're like, okay, these cats don't have somewhere to go to, right? These cats are not, or if they were cats, maybe they're his cats. Who knows? Mm. Um, but we also don't want to take in a cat who lives three doors down and, and already has a home. So um, you're right, those are complicated questions with lots of gray areas. And that's part of what we're internally now saying, okay, let's, let's try and make this clearer for everybody. Thank you, Director Donahue. Um, I think, you know, personally, and I'm sure other commissioners as well are probably um, going to be very looking forward to, you know, the conclusions that your working group comes up with so that we can continue that discussion. Um, thank you, Commissioner um, Irani. I, before I call on um, Commissioner Van Horn and then afterwards, I'd like to hear from Maria and Elena. I did have one question for Executive Director Donahue. Um, the working group that um, that's assisting in this matter are you able to tell us who's part of the working group, or at least if there are there, what or not specifically names, but what do they represent? Are they, are they all ACC um, employees or or volunteers, or are there people from outside organizations or even no, from? Um, um, 
this is a, an internal working group. So people from the officer ranks, people from the shelter service ranks saying, you know, okay, these are the kinds of questions and situations that come up all the time that we need to be more consistent on. So we've, we've, we're, our policy is based, of course, on this national research, and we are doing the things that all of these big national groups have suggested. So we're staying in line with that, but we're working on the communications consistency piece. Okay, so this is internal from the standpoint of, you know, the kind of questions and and um, things that you experience, you know, day to day. So that's why it's an internal group. Yeah. Understood. Thank you. Okay, um, Commissioner Van Horn, did you have a question? Yeah, because it was, um, well, first of all, um, I appreciate Director Donahue being here tonight, but um, I, and there are a thousand things that I think the commission could, could ask her, but, you know, we were, we were specifically talking just about policies on age of intake on kittens and um, we kind of got sidetracked there, but because I was asked about you know, veterinary support that's given to ACC. Um, I did want to point out a number of things. Um, there are some new veterinary hospitals that have popped up in San Francisco. They're primarily corporate veterinary hospitals. And um, in general, they're not by any means going to, you know, um, give support to to ACC or anybody else until they turn a profit for their investors. Um, and the folks that have had long term, um, you know, doctors in the community, especially on the emergency front, um, again, they're, they're strapped for veterinarians and they're, you know, they're actually the emergency hospitals. They're flying in veterinarians from other parts of the state, putting up and putting them up in hotels. They're having people that are not registered veterinary technicians do a lot of what we used to have RVTs do because um, you can't get RVTs in this city anymore either. Um, you know, on that note, I think we're still in an inverse situation. You should have, um, you know, at least two technicians for every veterinarian that, that's working. And I think we have two veterinarians and one technician at ACC. And, um, you know, there are a whole bunch of things we can talk about as far as how hard it is for for folks to to get hired there and how um, hard it is to get a contract as a as somebody that wants to work with the city, but specifically to, you know, the the age of kitten intake and how the shelter deals with kittens. I love Kate Hurley. She's a she's an intelligent woman. She's made a lot of good points. Um, but there are also people like Elizabeth Berliner, who just six months ago, we I spent eight hours listening to her here in San Francisco at PACVET, and nobody from ACC attended any of her her lectures. But very very different philosophies, um, and I think that you know all those things should be brought onto the, onto the table when we make, uh, you know, decisions about what's best for these kittens out in the community. Um, I know that's a lot to take on and it's, and we've all been up late tonight again, 
thank you, Doc. Uh, I mean, uh, Director Donahue, for for being here. I hope that you're here more often in the future. But we should try and stay focused on one one topic at a time. Thank you, um, Commissioner um, Van Horn. Okay. Um, even though I know that um, that we have our guests are here to answer questions um, from commissioners directly. Um, I did want it also to be a dialogue. So um, is there anything that um, Elena and Maria would like to to comment or, or say um, to the commissioners just concerning this topic, um, just based on some of the discussions so far? Now, I'm not asking you to, to basically, you know, rebuttal on anything that was said from anyone, but I'm just wondering, you know, just what are your, just what, what can you add to the conversation based on the conversation? What can you contribute to the conversation based on on some of what we've we've been discussing so far. Um, why don't we have Elena? Do you want to go first, or do you, are you able to go first to speak about this? Yeah, happy to. Um, I will be so brief. Uh, I had a kickboxing class that I optimistically had signed up for, and wow, we are way over time. So sorry about that. A lot of really passionate stuff going on today. Um, I guess I definitely want to reiterate that if this policy is twenty years old then absolutely uh, there needs to be some adjustments in how it has been communicated and, um, you know, how the process was to um, communicate that to the community because, um, you know, I had no idea that cats were not healthy outdoor cats allowed into ACC until very recently. Um, and I think the way that um, we are identifying cats, because there absolutely are abandoned stray cats that are large population, not just people's cats that are walking the streets, um, those still need to be addressed. And uh, I think it's really important to find some concrete ways to do that and be sure that they also get care. Um, thank you. Okay, thank you. Um, Maria, do you have anything you'd like to, to um, share with us? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think just that cat, we sh when there are these kinds of emergencies or cats are in dire situations, then ACC should respond or give the person a solution to respond. And they sh should be able to bring cats into the shelter if they, you know, deem them lost, abandoned, or homeless, as we've said already. But I just also want to say, like, in response to these big organizations, like these big names are acknowledging that this is the way to go. There are also people all around the country pushing back to these big organizations. And I did send out a video, Front Street Shelter, which is in Sacramento. You know, they had a protest because, and they made the news because they um, don't agree with the policies. And there's the exact same policies that are going on here because it's happening all across California and the, the nation. Yet there's still shelters that aren't doing it, like Oakland. Um, and San Jose has still not yet done it, and Peninsula Humane Society has not done it. So there are still organizations that are doing the right thing and taking in the cats. So, I mean, that's what we want to see. And and working with, you know, working with the shelter like we used to. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much, both of you. Um, uh, Commissioner Irani, is, do, you have, do you have a question or comment? No, I'm sorry. I left my hand up. It's okay. Um, so, um, are there any other? Oh, I apologize. Who was that? I, I, um, 
I'm I'm not sure, but I think we're pretty in line with Oakland, San Jose, and Peninsula, you mean, but I would need to double check that. Um, perhaps not Peninsula, but I think San Jose, I think we're on the same track, but we can check. The last that I heard about San Jose was that because of the public outcry about the new policy being implemented, that they stopped and they they started to take in the cats again. So that's what I heard. Yeah, well, I can always check. I'm not, you know, it's nine o'clock at night. My brain has limited function right about now. Yeah, I mean, that may have changed since last I heard. But um, my the information that I heard was that they, because of the public outcry, they did not move forward with the policy. So you could be right. Well, thank you both. Um, are there any other questions or comments from commissioners before we open it up to public comments? And again, I do know it's been a long night and I really appreciate everybody's work and everybody's uh, energy in, 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 in participating in these conversations and in, and in the meeting itself. Um, Okay, I don't think I see any hands. I did want to mention just one thing before we go to public comment. Um, Executive Director Donahue, um, in, in the statement, um, and again, this is just you know just uh, uh, something that I that I kind of picked on picked up on that it's not just in your statement, but also I see a lot in San Francisco. Is in your paragraph where you talk about uh, about about cats and you talk about the different organizations that also support this this approach. And in your sentence, you put down there is a reason to there is no reason to think that San Francisco is any different from the communities that were studied. Um, one thing I do want to say is, you know, in San Francisco, we we do like to pride ourselves as being, you know, progressive and as being, you know, as thinking um, outside the box, being forward thinking and trying to do things a little bit different and a little bit more compassionately. Um, you know. When things come up, we don't necessarily, and I'm not saying you're saying this or anyone else who who uses this, who says something similar is saying this, but when we, when we do something in San Francisco, you know, and we, we decide not to do it because someone else isn't doing it, you know, it's not like we say, oh, we can't do that in San Francisco because people in Pomona and Riverside and, and Merced don't do it. Um, I guess what I'm kind of bringing up is the fact is that we we all as San Franciscans like to say that from time to time, but at the same time, we also like to say too that you know um, that you know if it's no different in other communities, then it must be okay here as well. Um, and again, you know that that may not be the intent of the sentence. That may not be the intent of the sentence in anyone's um, um, intent, I should say, when they do use that sentence. But I'm just asking: Is there anything that that we feel can be done? Um, concerning healthy cats and kittens that maybe is beyond this study. Is there anything that we can that we can possibly try to look at and, and possibly implement or any kind of changes we can do uh, to kind of to kind of do something a little different, if that makes sense? Yeah, I'll have to, I'll, I'll have to think about that. The, the point of the sentence uh, really was there's been a lot of talk about these studies uh, we're, we're done in communities not like San Francisco, so they don't apply to us. When I think, uh, well, what I was trying to say was the academic research that has been done, the science, I think the science absolutely does apply to us. Now, you know, you're right, we're always trying to do things better here. So I'm not saying that we can't do things better or that we won't try to do things better or we can't think of innovative things. But what I'm saying is I have respect for the basic science. 
you know, and I, I, I think as government policymakers, it does behoove us to, to look at the, the science that's there and, you know, acknowledge that, you know, these people don't just make this stuff up, right? They, they do the work. Um, I was actually at a research, an online research conference yesterday, and the head of the American Association for Animal Welfare Administrators said that when he started in the field 30 years ago, a lot of sheltering was based on what felt right, what seemed like the right thing to do. Um, and as the field has gotten more sophisticated in the last few years, there has been more emphasis on science and measuring what works and what doesn't work. And some of the science has based has has backed up what shelters have been doing for years. And some of the science has said, oh, you know, we thought that worked, but really we should be doing something else instead. Or what we have been doing isn't as effective as it could be. And like, let's look at other things to do instead. That, that's all I was referring to. San Francisco is, of yeah. course, exceptional. Yeah, and you know, and I know that you're not implying this as well, but my, 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 my question was not definitely anti-science. It's more like just trying to also find, you know, a compassionate way to 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 try and possibly do things different. And again, I'm not saying you implied that by my by, you know, responding to my comment, but just I wanted to make that clear to everybody that that's, that, you know, that, yeah, that, well, basically that was my comments. <laughs> so anyways, I guess may, speaking of may comments, I, make, I, may guess, I make one oh, yes. may I make one more comment. I, I'm sorry, I forgot. Um, Yes, Maria. Because I, I forgot to include it in my original thing. You know, a lot of when animal care and control isn't taken in the cats, then rest small rescue groups like Gimme Shelter and Andrea's Dream, and they we take on the burden of those cats as well as individual rescuers. Rescuers, and it's just not sustainable financially for us. At SFACC has a nine point five million dollar budget, and we have teeny weeny budgets. You know, and we can't we can't we it's simply not going to be sustainable so that's why we need them to help us so that's all i want to say thank you okay thank you that's a that's a very important point so thank you for bringing that up okay um i don't see any other questions or comments from um commissioner so we can open up for public comment i want to thank very much um commissioner ozenoy and commissioner fortier for their assistance so far i'm looking forward to their assistance again um there is no way I probably could have handled our last um, public comment period where we had almost 50 comments. So, you know, again, you know, I thank your, I, I look forward to your help in this way as well. Um, so anyways, uh, let me just remind people that this is a, a public comment period. Um, members of the public who wish to make a comment on this agenda item should hit star three on their phone to be added to the speaker's queue. Okay, let's go ahead and look at how many comments we have, commenters we have. Okay, currently I see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay, we have about ten comments so far. Okay, I am going to start with user with call-in number twelve. Okay. Caller, when you are ready to make your comment, please do. Yeah, hi. Rebecca Ward, and uh, I live in the Inner Richmond District in San Francisco. Um, I've been involved with uh, feeding feral cats for more than 15 years, um, and I remember there was a time when ACC was the place to go for a lost cat. If you lost your cat, you would look for your cat at ACC. You would look to 
see if the, your cat was listed in the dead cats book, the dead animals that were brought in. And so uh, the uh, the suggestion that that this is a policy of not accepting cats that's been around for 20 years was a little bit difficult for me to swallow. Um, so I, I went on to the Internet Archive and their Wayback Machine, and uh, I pulled a screenshot of the ACC website from August the 2nd of 2018, and I'd like to read what it said. It says, we need your support. San Francisco Animal Care and Control keeps our community safe and protects all animals from abuse, neglect, and cruelty. SFACC is the city's only open admission shelter. We accept all animals regardless of temperament, medical condition, or species. We rehabilitate and reunite animals with their owners, rehome the orphans, and assist wildlife. So, I mean, I'm more than happy to provide this screenshot to anybody that would like to see it. Um, I, I also feel that having fed ferals in the community, many of them in, in the back of a, of a public parking lot, people don't go out of their way to find cats to bring in. The idea that cats are being kidnapped. Thank you, Speaker. Your time is up. That was two minutes. You're muted, Michael. Hello, this apologize is Elva. Yes. Thank Hi, you. Hi, this Elva. is Elva. Yes, you can go ahead and give um, a comment. I apologize for that. No problem. Um, I want to echo what Rebecca just said, that uh, uh, it is hard to swallow uh, saying that for at least 20 years, ACC stopped taking in healthy outdoor cats. Um, how does Dr. Director Donahue explain all the adult cats that get adopted out of ACC on a regular basis after they have cleared their health checks. I used to take people on lost cat searches all the time uh, when I volunteered there for five years. Um, anyway, the San Francisco Department of Animal Care and Control is a taxpayer-funded open admission animal shelter since 1989. Her department has been open to all those animals in need, regardless of species, medical, or behavioral condition. Um, rather than change a stellar mission statement that's been here since 1989, perhaps we need leadership that will aspire to live up to that mission statement. Um, San Francisco's health code, SEC 41.6, any person may take up and deliver to the animal control officer, i.e. the executive director or her representative, any animal at large in the city and county on public property or upon said person's private property or any animal owned by such person. Repeating this information does work in the public relations field, but hopefully it will not work for the sake of San Francisco's homeless cats, whether they are lost house cats or feral kittens. Thank you. Okay, thank you for your comments. We are going now to, to caller 135. Okay, you can make your comment. You can start your comment when you're ready. 
Hi, my name is Amy Jones. I'm um, I live in the Bayview district of San Francisco, and we have a lot of stray and feral cats here. So that's how I got into cat rescue. And um, I'm actually a, a dog owner. So, um, but I got into cats moving here. So anyway, um, I just wanted to make a couple comments about you know cat. You know, just to add to what the caller previous to Elva said about you know people aren't just out there grabbing cats for fun, right? I mean, when I'm out trapping, when I'm helping people in the community, I get asked for help a lot. You know, these are people that have been feeding these cats for a long time, have observed them, have talked to neighbors, or I go around and I talk to the neighbors, and, and it's, it's determined that these cats don't have homes. Um, and they, you know, and so I, I just, I wonder if ACC has actual data on cats that they've adopted out that they know for certain was somebody's own cat. Um, I just don't see, you know, how how they can extrapolate that and say that that's, you know, the majority of what's happening so that and that no cat should come in. And, and it's also very hard to tell if a cat is injured um, sometimes. You know, I've rescued cats that had long hair and when I and when I looked through their fur, I could see um, I could see puncture wounds and and blood and you know they they were injured. I just it wasn't you know visible to the naked eye. So I mean, you know, Virginia admitted it's, there's a lot of gray area, and there is you know. And I just think it seems like they're not you know when you bring a cat in, the the front desk gives you just sort of a. a boilerplate speech about how after cats are fine, you know, they don't need help. And so, um, you know, and then the other thing I wanted to talk about was um, one of the commissioners said about thank you um, how, you know, your, thank you for your comment. Your time is up. Thank you, Amy, for your comment. Okay, we're going to move on to 132, caller number 136. Okay, caller, you can offer your comment. You can begin your comment when you're ready. Hi there, I'm Patricia Briggs. Um, I just wanted to mention, um, you know, this is a major, major problem. I've done this kind of work for, for at least 15 years with these cats, mainly recovery, and on a scale of 1 to 10, there are every variation. I've seen cats that were really tame, a lot of them from my backyard that were brought in. None of them were spayed or neutered, and they were totally tame, no microchip, no collar. So the problem with this is that, as one person mentioned, you know, people are allowing their pets to um, go outside that are unneutered, unaltered, and then get pregnant. And this is what exactly what woman said. Uh, one woman said on next door, she let her cat out. The cat became pregnant. She was totally irresponsible. And then what they do is they try to give away the kittens without getting those kittens spayed or neutered. And then they give the kittens to anybody and everybody. Of course, who doesn't want to take a kitten? And then those people don't stay or neuter. And then they dump the cat out when the novelty wears off. And then that's where a lot of these cats are coming from. And that is exactly the truth. So what is ACC? Um, can ACC work with SPCA and go out into the field and educate these people that don't care and, you know, offer low-cost free Spay and neuter session areas like they opened up the new Excelsior Clinic in the, uh, the SVCA and work in these areas where people are, you know, don't care and such and such. Um, that's what my prevention, what, what's being done for prevention. 
I'm finished my comments. Okay, thank you very much for your comment, Patricia. Okay, moving on to caller number 17. Okay, you can start your comment when you're ready. Hi, I'm a 35 year San Francisco resident and I've adopted many wonderful pets, dogs and cats, both from San Francisco shelters. And now I'm working um, to support adoption of rescued cats and kittens by helping to foster them. And I heard about um, the capacity issues that ACC was having with their new facility, both in the, the staffing and in the space in the facility. Um, so they can't take in more animals. And I just really um, encourage ACC to use all available resources to help reduce the number of animals in their shelter. Um, I understand that ACC has a foster program. I do enjoy fostering cats. I love helping in that way. I know other people want to help too. And if they have a foster program, I'm curious, you know, are they making use of all their fosters? Um, how many fosters do they have and, and how many cats are in the foster program right now? Um, isn't this another way that uh, we could creatively address the problems with capacity? Thank you. Okay, thank you for your comment. Moving on to uh, caller number 19. You have been unmuted. You can make your comments or start your comment when you're ready. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, my name is Bill Hamilton. In the year 2000, I founded the Friends of San Francisco Animal Care and Control and served as its president for its first eight years. An emotionally disturbed man has been driving around San Francisco with a shotgun and his window open. He's been shooting at random stray cats. He missed most of them but wounded and killed several maybe 6% of all roaming cats in the city. Don't worry, this never happened. But what would ACC have said about it? If you can find it, a sentence on their website advises residents to keep their cats indoors, period. As for the outdoor cats, ACC says they're no longer ACC's responsibility. Do not bring stray cats to ACC because most of them have guardians, most. Besides, if ACC did accept strays, only about 6% are claimed by their owners anyway. I have been feeding and trapping feral cats almost daily for 19 years. I always carry large plastic garbage bags with me. During this time, as I drove from colony to colony, I've retrieved the bodies of five dead cats off the street at different times and brought them to ACC in a garbage bag so they could scan for microchips and notify their owners. Now that ACC is refusing stray cats, I anticipate needing a lot more bags. Thank you. Thank you, Bill, for your comments. Um, we will go on now to uh, Caller number 35. Caller, you can um, provide your comment when you're ready. You can start your comment when you're ready, Caller. Uh, oh, yes. Can you not hear me? We can hear can you. Can you not hear me? Oh, I'm sorry. This is, oh, good. Thank you. This is Damia. I help people find lost. 
cats and um, what I've been learning the last number of years and even tonight is there's a lot of gray. It's really hard to tell when a cat is owned or not owned because cats really take care of themselves for a long, long time. Um, I mean, I help people find cats over a month lost and you wouldn't never know except for they're a lot thinner because maybe they were obese or, um, and it's hard to get the public to even take that step to bring a cat to, to bring a cat somewhere where it's safe. Um, they won't, a lot of times they don't have the capacity to, to bring them in their own home if they have a pet or they're not sure if they have fleas or whatever. So I've just noticed that everyone thinks you you bring your cats to SFACC. And I mean, I, I thought that for the longest time and I still am hoping for that because it really, really does help. And Oakland, they do that extra thing where they post on Paw Boost, which has helped a lot of people because I, I monitor Paw Boost on a daily basis throughout the day. And I talk to everyone who reunites their cats in San Francisco and, um, and in Oakland, and that has really helped. Um, sorry, my mind is a little all over the place. Um, um, I'm just glad we're having this discussion. I think we should keep having this discussion and not close the idea of um, ACC accepting um, cats that appear healthy. Thank you. Thank you, Dami, for your, for your comments. Um, we're going on to caller number 39. Paula, you've been unmuted and you can see. Paula, you can start your comment. Can you, can you hear me? Yeah, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Yes. Okay, yeah, it's, uh, this is Lana, Basel Director of Give Me Shelter. Um, just speaking to, um, uh, you know, some comments that uh, Ms. Donahue had made earlier regarding the inconsistencies at animal care and control and shades of gray about what animals are left out to fend for themselves and what is able to be brought in. That being said, having shades of gray and uh, the inconsistencies doesn't prove to me is science driven. Um, science to me is a black and white scenario. When you have shades of gray and inconsistencies, that to me is not, a, um, it is not scientific. Data can be manipulated. Um, so that's part and parcel of, of a, a concern I have there, because how do you how do you drive that data if you have shades of gray and inconsistencies? The other thing I'd like to bring up is if she's, if uh, animal care and control is going to have an internal working group, might I suggest that the major stakeholders uh, for the healthy cats and kittens and people in rescue are able to have input and direct uh, lines of communication. We are the boots on the ground and in the trenches, academia be, uh, put aside. This is, what, this is what real life and real hands-on experience uh, might lend a lot of information to that working group in order to impact policies. Uh, one inconsistency I did want to bring up, it was just fairly recently, two cats were, were physically owner surrendered. They were legitimately owner surrendered. They were on a RTF, return to field um, docket. We intervened and got the cats back because we knew the people did not want the cats returned. So again, I'm speaking to the inconsistencies there. 
But Ms. Donahue, I would really appreciate an opportunity as a major stakeholder and a rescue organization that has supported animal care and control over a decade, decades, um, is that we have input in your working group and have the input. Thank you I for also have done a lot. Two minutes. Thank you very much, Lana, for your comment. We're going on to the next caller. This is 43. Hey, caller, you've been unmuted and you can start your comment at any time. Um, thank you. Yes, picking up on the last caller, you know, I second the idea that ACC work with these community, smaller community organizations that are out there and have real data on what's happening with, uh, <clears throat> with the feral cat populations and what they see uh, every day. You know, I think uh, San Francisco is unique in that we have one of the densest populations, uh, certainly, uh, <clears throat> you know, on this side of the country, and that, um, you know, the the impacts of more uh, feral cats, uh, you know, impacts all of the uh, human and wildlife, you know, in the city, and that um, it's really important to have have that data uh, available and uh, also support the idea of hopefully ACC working with um, schools or other organizations to help uh, people get the word out and be educated on what can be done for, for our pets. Thank you. Thank you, caller. We're going on to caller five. Okay, caller, you have been unmuted and you can begin your public comments. Uh, thank you, Commissioner Torres. I ask that this commission recommend that animal care and control be ordered to take in all cats reported as found outdoors in order to evaluate whether they are in fact healthy, safe outdoor cats. So Director Donahue's November 1st letter to you said, leaving healthy, safe outdoor cats in place is based on the science, fine. How can ACC determine whether any particular cat is healthy and safe if they don't take it in and make that determination? They can see if the cat has a microchip, and to the point that Commissioners Orzernoy and Arani made, you have trained shelter people making the complicated decisions engaging the likelihood of any particular cat being healthy and safe outdoors, rather than asking the untrained public to do it for them. So Director Donahue's letter stated that her policy oriented, was oriented to providing the right services for each cat, and she conceded that each situation is nuanced. Well, how can you do, determine the nuances of each situation and provide the right services for a particular cat if you don't make that determination at ACC? Now, Director Donahue complained that animal care has its own experience of cats admitted to the shelter who should not have been. Of course it has. Not all cats outside need to be rescued, but how do you determine which do and which don't unless experienced trained shelter people make that decision? Commissioner Torres, I ask that this commission recommend that animal care and control be ordered to intake all cats reported as found outdoors in order to evaluate whether each cat is in fact a healthy, safe outdoor cat. Thank you. Thank you very much for your comments. Um, we will go on now to um, to caller number sixty. Caller, you have been un caller, you have been unmuted, and you can begin your public comment, please. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, okay. we can. Hi, 
this is Suzanne, and I'm a resident of San Francisco for 40 years, and I'm a supporter of Friends of San Francisco Animal Care and Control. Uh, there's a little concern when they talked about the studies that have been done that cats uh, are used that are lost or usually within a few blocks of their home. If uh, a cat, if my cat were lost in a few blocks of my home, it would be hopeless. I live in in the middle of high rises. I'm in San Francisco. I'm not in a suburban. Uh, gated community where cats are known throughout the neighborhood and they have lawns and all that stuff. There are no lawns in my neighborhood. There's busy streets and it, if the cat gets out of the apartment, it doesn't know which floor its apartment is on. And if they get out of the building, there's no way that they could know how to get back into the building and they would be terrified. And I've heard of cats that when they're lost, they get into the basement and they're and there they just uh, starve to death. They go on a cycle of not eating and they're, they cycle down and, and they die. And I've also heard of cats that have been in uh, the basement of these buildings and then um, uh, uh, SBCA Spain neuters them, which is great. But then the landlord puts rat poison down in the basement and the cats have been seen again. So it's, it's these type of stories. And I have, uh, I did see a, a wonderful Siamese cat that was uh, at the corner of uh, Franklin and California. And uh, I was worried about it being near the traffic and there and then one day the cat was dead, then hit by a car. Comment. Your time is up. Thank you. Thank you, Suzanne, for your comments. Going on to caller 63. Caller, you've been unmuted and you can start your public comments. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Hello? Hi, yes. uh, this is Andrea Matoya calling from Andrea's Room Rescue. Um, there's a couple of comments that I'd like to make um, from tonight's uh, meetings that we've been having. Um, first off, I'd like to say I think the goal here is to find both consistency and shorten that gray area to something that is closer to an area that makes sense um, and is consistent and follow through with both the front of house and back of house there. Um, I want to start off by saying that, um, you know, uh, uh, director Donahue did make a, a comment about a cat that was in there that was owner, an owner cat that somehow stayed from day eight. And the only reason that cat stayed from day eight was because it was sick. So if that cat wasn't in there on day eight and sick and out on the street, that would have probably ended up being a completely slow, slow, slow death for that cat. Um, secondly, she also made a comment about, oh, let's let those healthy cats just go, put them back out there. But are we watching that those cats are spayed and neutered? Because all that's going to happen is those cats are going to go back out on the streets. Yes, we could have an irresponsible owner, but now we have six, eight, 12, 14 kittens because that cat's going to go into heat twice a year. What's going to be done with that? Why aren't those cats getting spayed and neutered if they are going to be released back out before they're released back out? 
Um, the other thing that I'd like to say is that being a small rescue here in San Francisco and, and to what Give Me Shelter has just done, um, is that, you know, it's, you guys have a budget. We have a very small budget. Um, I was just informed this week from two of the spay and neuter clinics that I use personally have now raised their prices for spay and neuter and a cat to $150 across the board. That now makes accessibility for a small rescue here in San Francisco that is going out there trying to do this and trying to make it better and try to bring this population down almost unattainable. Thank we you for your comment. That was your two minutes. Okay, thank you, uh, Andrea, for your comments. Um, Commissioner Ozenoy, I believe um, all calls were. So I see number 135 and 136 both of those were let me see i think there might be a let me 132 see yes that was done as well uh 63 we got let's see 43 yes um and 63 63 for sure let's see 39 35 um, 19 we had. Okay, I don't think we had 24. You got number five. Okay, I think 24 is, is 24. 24 and, um, 12, no, 12, 17. Uh, 17 we did have, yes. Okay. So I okay, think so we're going to number 24. Yeah. Okay, Carla, you've been unmuted. You can go ahead and start your comment at any time. Thank you. Um, my name is Nadine May. I've been doing trap neuter return and rescue in the city for 20 years. And Virginia Donahue's comment that this new policy has been in place for 20 years of not taking in stray cats, healthy stray cats, is frankly, not true. I have been taking stray cats in, mostly found in my own colonies that did, weren't feral, that were unfixed, that didn't have microchips, that were friendly. I took them to ACC. I've taken multiple cats to ACC. Most of them I've gotten adopted to great homes. So. I don't understand what Ms. Donahue is saying. On one hand, she says that they don't take in healthy stray cats. On the other hand, she said they take in 1,600 stray cats. Were they all kidnapped? Were they all injured? Were they all healthy? Were they all kittens? Who are those 1,600 stray cats that she is telling us they don't take? So I want transparency as a San Francisco resident and somebody who does rescue and somebody who is in debt because of vet bills for cats that are not my own, but that ACC wouldn't take responsibility for. The other thing I wanted to say to Virginia Donahue is, you can check on Oakland. Oakland takes in every cat that is brought in. And Oakland has a law that requires that every lot, every found cat be reported to Oakland Animal Services so that they can post on their website. Animal Care and Control does not post 
found cats on their website. They only post the cats that have been impounded, not cats that people have found that call in to say, I found a cat, I'm keeping that cat, please look for its owner. They did away with the system. They did away with the found cat book. Um, Thank you for your comments. That was your unclear. two minutes. Thank, Thank you. you. Michael, did we get 39? You're muted. I really apologize that for that people. Um, I, I'm sorry about, I need to be better, better mindful of my mute button. Anyways, yes, we did get number 39. I did want to thank Nadine for her comments. And I also wanted to thank her for her assistance concerning um, the issue with, with Ms. Collars for public comment. Um, uh, with her feedback, I was able to look into things and, and hopefully we were, we were able to tackle that, that problem. So again, thank you Nadine for your time and your help with that. Um, I show all colors. I show right now, I'm gonna refresh. And again, I'm just, I, I, I apologize for putting everybody through this, but I just wanna be extra cautious of any missed calls. Um, I see 12, we've done 133 as, uh, okay, 133, we haven't. 136, we've done, 24 has been done, 35, 38, uh, 38 hasn't, 43 and 43. Okay, so let's go back to um, 133. I don't believe that that one has had a chance. That person has had a chance to speak. I'm going to unmute them. Caller, you've been unmuted. You can start your um, comments at any time. Yeah, hi. My name is Dave, and I'm a lifelong. I'm, I'm born and raised in San Francisco and lived here for 75 years and uh, have been a cat owner all my life. And uh, I've uh, worked with the cat rescue community because there were feral cats. I live in the Golden Gate Heights area. There were feral cats in my neighborhood, which the cat rescue community came and helped me trap because they were really uh, fighting and getting into a lot of hassle. And they also looked pretty bad. And uh, so the, the cat rescue community was really important in helping uh, those cats. Uh, find a place and also get fixed and uh, uh, neutered. I, I think what's really, what I'm hearing is that there's really a problem with cats in the city. There's so many cats out there that are feral, and yet this gray area about whether they're owned or not continues to be a significant issue. But I think cat rescue people, probably more than most people, can recognize whether a cat a stray or has a home. And it, yet, given all the issues that we have with cats, the cat rescue community just doesn't seem to get any support from ACC. And in fact, not only that, the experiences of Alina and Maria is to be disrespected and dismissed by ACC staff. And I think, I think that really represents a failure in communications and in staff training. and. Yes, an administration. Uh, and unfortunately, this issue had to come before the commission just to be brought up to the open. And I don't think this issue is going to go away. There's going to be a lot more cats in the street. And the cat raiser community right now is the only group that's really trying to do something with absolutely very, very little resources. 
how is ACC going to work with this cat rescue community? Thank you for your um, comment. That was two minutes. Thank you, Dave, for your comments. Okay, I'm just going to look through again. If everybody who has spoken could just do star three on their phone, that will help us make sure that we haven't missed someone. Thank you. I think we've got everybody. Yep, I think they're all. Thank you so much, everyone. Um, one last yes. 35. I think that is everybody. Um, yeah. Yes. Okay. Now, what I'm going to do is 136. I'm did we get 136? Uh, yes, we did. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to go and clear those. Unfortunately, I have the ability to clear everybody's raise hand, but I can't do it individually. So, uh -uh. so, so we do With it. Great power comes post. great responsibility, Chair Torres. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, heavy as the head that wears the crown, huh? Um, so anyway, so what I'd like to do now is um, open it up again one last time for any kind of questions or any kind of comments from commissioners. Okay, seeing none, um, just my takeaway, um, we're gonna continue to, to look into this. I, I, I do appreciate, um, um, Maria Conlon being here, Elena Joy, and of course, um, Ex Executive Director Donahue. Um, I do think there are more things we can do concerning healthy cats and kittens. Um, I have reached out to ACC. I will be meeting with, um, with them. Um, I will also be meeting with, um, with some of our, um, uh, people from our rescue organization to try and learn more as well. Um, so, you know, so we will continue this discussion in January. Um, hopefully we can work um, forward to, to something um, uh, that'll help cats, that we all feel helps cats. Um, but I really do wanna thank um, everyone who attended as our guests, Maria, Elena, and Executive Director Donahue uh, for helping us to understand what's happening and what if any changes can be done. Okay, so I'm looking forward to continuing the discussion um, with our commissioners at the next meeting. Okay, um, is there any other, as I mentioned, any, any comments or anything before we move on to the next item? Uh, Commissioner Rosenoy? I guess I just, uh, one last thing I want to say that um, maybe just in terms of the website and, and updates uh, to the website, maybe, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's people within the community, even beyond friends of SFACC, who would be willing to donate their time to, to help with, with it. So I think, I mean, if that's, you know, I get the newsletter also, and like, maybe that's something that could go in the newsletter as I was like, hey, are you a graphic designer? You know, like, so maybe people would be willing to, you know, spend a couple of hours just to, to create those things. Okay, thank you for the comments. Yeah. Uh, any other comments? Can I quickly okay, just... Yes. Can I quickly just say something? I just want to acknowledge that we went really late. So I know there were a lot of people that were going to call in that um, had to ring off, um, which is, you know, totally fine. They may be emailing you um, their statements. And then just super quickly, just for clarity, I'm not here as an SPCA uh, representative. Um, you introduced me as an SPCA representative, but I'm here in my own capacity today. So. 
Okay, I apologize for that. I thought I had recognized you were volunteer. Okay, again, I apologize for that. No wonder there's confusion. Um, please um, be mindful of my disclosure at the beginning. Uh, just a reminder that no one here represents SPCA. That was a, 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 a faux pas on my part. Definitely that was not that was not the case. Yeah, we do know you are not a representative. So thank you so much. And thank you, everybody. I know it's been a long meeting. We still have a couple more things to go, and I appreciate everyone's patience as we work through all this. Okay. Okay. So, anyways, again, thank you, Elena. Thank you, uh, Virginia. And um, thank you, um, uh, Maria, for attending tonight. And as I said, we will continue this discussion at our next meeting. Okay. So, um, moving on to um, reporting from animal care and control. Um, animal care and control will report regarding outcomes for animals and ongoing operations and present the July through September 2022 quarterly report. The quarterly report is, of course, available on our website under our agenda. Okay, um, please feel free to um, to begin uh, the presentation when you're ready, Executive Director Donahue. You're muted. Yeah, I think you're muted. Let me unmute you. Yeah, yeah. It, you're muted okay. Uh, okay. In the interest of time, you all have this report in writing. So if you have any questions, ask, just ask. Um, I understand that when Dr. O'Neill is here, she also tells you what's in the shelter for the day. Um, so I'll do that now. There's currently 166 animals on site. Um, 74 of them are cats, 20 are birds, 47 are dogs, 20 are smalls, three are reptiles, two are wildlife. There are currently 81 animals in foster, one bird, 65 cats, five dogs, and 10 others who I believe are all rabbits uh, because we are very overfull on rabbits. Um, if I might add, um, the last few commission meetings have gone really long, and it sounds like in January you're planning to discuss shock collars and cats again. I would encourage um, the commission to pick one of them to try and reduce the length of the meeting since we're going on four and a half hours now. That's our report. Okay, great. I appreciate it. Um, and yes, definitely these are these are items. I'll go over some of the items in which we uh, have tentatively um, scheduled for next for our next meeting. But yes, I do not want to in, um, put anyone through long meetings. I appreciate everybody's time and patience as we're going through this. I will talk much more longer about how much I appreciate it because obviously that just adds time. But it's <laughs> very much appreciated. Um, if anyone does have any questions before we open up for public comment um, from commissioners, I'd like to open up the floor for that. Are there any questions? Okay, we'll open up for public comment. Uh, members of the public who wish to make a comment now should hit star three on their phone to be added to the speaker's queue. Okay, you have two minutes to make your comment. I only yeah, see one, but I think it's from before. Okay, I think we I cleared out all the hands from before, but let me just actually I don't see it anymore. 
it oh, looks it's like back. it disappeared. No, it's back. It 63. Okay. okay, we'll go ahead and unmute that caller and let them make their comment. Hi, caller, you've been unmuted. You can make a comment. Uh, yes, this is Andrea. I'm Andrea calling again from Andrea's Dream Rescue. Just real quick to finish yes. what I was trying to say. Um, you know, it's getting ridiculously, you know, overpriced now for rescues to be able to use the sources that are out there as a lot more vets are going, you know, corporate. Um, as I said before, the average cost now for a rescue to do a spay and neuter is $150 in the Bay Area when most uh, rescues adopt out anywhere from 150 to 185. So in San Francisco, there needs to be some kind of solution and some kind of balance and some kind of, again, working together as a team to figure out how to make this work because very slowly this city is going to lose their small rescues on top of having an overpopulation of cats and cats that are deemed unadoptable and cats that the, that the shelter, you know, aren't able to handle where our small rescues are the ones that are taking those ones in. So if those healthy cats could go in to these to shelter, get vetted, get everything done that needs to be done, then that allows the small rescues to focus on those a little bit more challenging cats and be able to use their funds for the medical cats and stuff like that, rather than these simply easily adoptable cats that can very easily find homes. And that's all I have to say on this. Thank you. Okay, thank you for your comment, uh, Andrea. Okay, and I do not see any other comments. So we can go ahead and close public comments. Um, Executive Director Donahue, I wanna thank you again for spending the evening with us and also for presenting uh, the quarterly report. Okay, uh, we just have one more item that we're gonna go on to and that is on commission governance. Uh, commission will vote on officers for 2023. Okay, so tonight we are voting for our commission officers, chair, vice chair and secretary for the new year. I will start the nomination process. Just a second. Okay, starting with um, with a nomination for secretary. For secretary, I am, I am nominating Commissioner Tobin. Commissioner Tobin, as we know, is one of our most experienced and knowledgeable members of our commission. She has served as vice chair in the past and has played an inspiring role in almost every important piece of work that the commission has done during her time here. Most impressively for me is she created the template for our ongoing presentations by community organizations, which helps to keep us all, both members of the commission as well as members of the general public, aware and informed of matters that impact all of us, both human and non-humans. So being a commission secretary is probably the most difficult position one can hold on a commission. I know that definitely. And we all appreciate the hard work and willingness that Commissioner Tobin puts into it. We are so lucky to have her and I'm very pleased to nominate Commissioner Tober to continue her great work as secretary. Okay. Um, continuing with the nomination process, I wanna nominate Commissioner Ozenoy for chair, or I'm sorry, for vice chair. Um, although Commissioner Ozenoy is one of our newest members, she immediately played an important role, she immediately started playing an incredible important role in our body. Commissioner Ozenoy is very knowledgeable about all commission matters and very interested to learn more and help in any way that she can. She brings so much to us with her history of community involvement. She seems to know everybody. <laughs> uh, willingness to dive deep into the issues we are looking at 
Uh, she is incredibly creative and very savvy when it comes to things of a technical nature, which in today's remote meeting world is truly something special and very much appreciated. Everyone really enjoys working with Commissioner Ozenoy, and we look forward to seeing all the amazing things that she will be doing for the commission in the years ahead. So I'm very pleased to nominate Commissioner Ozenoy for the, for the position of vice chair. Okay. Thank you. Uh, well, I would like to nominate uh, Commissioner Torres to keep being the chair of the commission. Under Commissioner Torres's leadership, we have navigated the strange waters of the online uh, medium, even though there have been some technical difficulties. He has always handled them with grace and, uh, and aplomb, and he is uh, also incredibly knowledgeable, incredibly well-spoken. I feel like we as a commission are continuing to flourish under his leadership and thus I hope he will accept this nomination. Thank you very much. I'm honored by your words. Okay, so um, what we will do is we'll go to um, to public comment uh, before we, we vote uh, on our officers. Um, so anyone who would like to make a comment, please hit star three on your phone right now to be added to the speaker's queue. You'll be given two minutes. After your two minutes are over, we will go ahead and mute you and go on to the next caller. Okay, currently I do not see anyone in the speaker's queue. Okay, so we can move on to, um, to our nomination, to our election, to our voting, please, excuse me. So anyways, so Jane Tobin for secretary, when I call your name, please state yes if you're Michael, electing. I, I have, a, I, have yes. I move to vote the slate of candidates. Okay, so we're fine with that. Okay, great. I, I vote in okay. favor of all candidates, all three <laughs> candidates. Okay, that sounds fine to me. Okay, what we are going to be voting for is uh, for Jane Tobin for secretary, uh, Irina Ozernoy for vice chair, and Angelo Torres for chair. When I call your name, please let me know if you're in favor of this slate. Commissioner Fortier? Aye, and thank you all. Okay, Commissioner Irani? Aye. Commissioner Ozenoy? Aye. Commissioner Tobin? I'm good on two of the three. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Can we take that as a yes? I'll leave that to you. No, I say aye. <laughs> thank you. And Commissioner Van Horn. All right. So moving on to items for um, on the agenda for future commission meetings. Uh, we do not have a meeting in December, so our next meeting will be held on Thursday, January 12th. This meeting will be held remotely, and as far as we know, we will continue to meet remotely at least through the beginning of the new year. Please reach out to me by the Friday before our next meeting with any proposed agenda items and any supporting documents. For our next meeting, that will be Friday, July, January 6th. The agenda and any supporting documents provided to the commission by that time will be uploaded to our website, sf.gov forward slash animal commission by the Monday evening before the meeting. So for our next meeting, that will be Monday, January 9th. So a couple things have come up as far as, you know, um, what we are gonna do for the meeting, uh, for our January meeting. I know um, a lot of things are tentatively on the agenda. I will be mindful. I do not want another meeting. I, I miss, uh, interpret the response to our first agenda item. So that's that's my bad and I really apologize for it, but I appreciate everybody for sticking through um, this meeting. So anyways, let me just name off some of the things that will be considered in the new year. 
Okay, we have a continuation for our discussion on CAPS and the admissions policy at SFACC. Uh, Jamia Foti of happycatlady.com in her work helping fine animals who are lost. An introduction of our new SFPD representative officer, Gregory um, Sutherland. Ongoing reporting and sharing of news and special events from SF Animal Care and Control. A vote on the resolution showing, allowing us to continue to meet remotely in January and February and commission work plans for the new year. In addition, a few other things we're looking at in the early part of the new year are discussions around rescue partners and the ICE and the CIP hold at SFACC, a community cats presentation by SFSPCA, a presentation on the conservation program at, at the San Francisco Zoo, a presentation with Project Coyote, and continuation of discussion concerning a ban on blue traps in the city. Um, do any commissioners have any questions or anything else to add? We still hope okay. to hear from an expert on the dog nappings. Okay, we can reach out to uh, Colette uh, Dunleavy as well. Um, and of course, um, we also have, as I mentioned, Demia, who will be speaking about lost cats. So, so hopefully we'll be able to work something around both of them. Okay, um, any other questions? Um, Commissioner Tobin. Oh, just uh, quickly, I will put together a spreadsheet like I did last year. And, you know, as you're developing your work plans and there are areas of interest that you're particularly want to explore this year, even though we have already, like, looks like six months, if not more of work ahead of us, um, I would strongly encourage you to add those into areas or slotted in there to um, that spreadsheet to so that we can line up presenters to speak to those to those very various areas, okay? Thank you very much, Commissioner Tobin. And yes, thank you for that spreadsheet. And I apologize. I know sometimes I, I override it and I just kind of do things on my own. I won't do that <laughs> in the future because obviously we need to be organized and we need to have meetings that aren't quite this long. So anyways, um, if there is nothing further, we can adjourn. Um, well, thank you for being a part of tonight's evening. It is now 10.03 PM and we are now adjourned. Uh, we look forward to seeing everyone in the new year. A good night and take care. And thanks again to everybody. And um, again, thank you for, thank you, for Director Donnie, for being here. Nice thank you, everybody. You. Thank good you, night, everybody. Thank you so thank much you. to our take guests care. as well. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Bye. Have a good night, everybody. Good night. Bye.